3: Now that we're in the thick of summer, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals to support sunny, active days. Or you might just be looking for a quick meal to heat up for all the big summer pro wrestling shows that you're going to settle in for and watch at home. Well, Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, and they can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track for reaching your goals. If you're too busy with summer plans to cook but want to make sure you're eating well with Factor, skip that extra trip to the grocery store, the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up, and save money compared to delivery. Plus, you don't have to wait around for it, and it's not greasy fried stuff that's cold by the time you get it. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy and then get back outside to soak up the warm weather or settle in for a good meal while watching wrestling. You can stick to your wellness goals with premium ready-to-eat meals featuring high-quality ingredients. Treat yourself to 34-plus weekly restaurant-quality options like bruschetta shrimp risotto, green goddess chicken, and grilled steakhouse filet mignon, ready in just two minutes. There are vegetarian, vegan, and protein-plus options depending on your diet choices. They also feature lunch-to-go options, effortless, wholesome meals like grain bowls and salad toppers that are ready to eat when you're on the go, no microwave required. They also have calorie-smart meals with around or less than 500 calories per serving, but the nutrient density will give you the fuel you need to get through the day. With Factor, you can rest assured you're making a sustainable choice. They offset 100% of their delivery emissions, source 100% renewable electricity for their production sites and offices, and feature sustainably sourced seafood in their meals. So this July, get Factor and enjoy eating well, without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door, ready in just two minutes. No prep, no mess. I am a customer. I love factor meals. I enjoy picking the meals out from the selection each week and looking forward to trying some new things and having some of my factor favorites. So head to factor75.com wade50 or use code wade50 to get 50% off. That's code wade50 at factor75.com wade50 to get 50% off.
2: But
0: your happy price price line now pw torch and spreaker bring you the wade keller pro wrestling podcast it's time for wade's interview with one of
3: pro wrestling's newsmakers Ten years ago this week, J.J. Dillon was my guest. He was the manager of the Four Horsemen in the 1980s. He was the vice president of talent relations for the WWF in the 90s. He was a WCW executive in WCW's final days, and he provides insight on all stages of his vast career on and off camera in this interview from July 12th, 2013. It is today's Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Podcast interview classic for Thursday, July 13th, 2023. Let's get right to it. Welcome to the PW Torch livecast. I am Wade Keller, editor and publisher of the Pro Wrestling Torch newsletter since 1987, and also pwtorch.com, the website, since 1999. And now, the uh, PW Torch apps for the past uh, four and a half years, I think, available on iPhone, iPad, Android devices, Amazon Kindle Fire devices, and Windows phones. And I just upgraded my uh, DVD player to a 2013 Samsung model. On that DVD player is a Samsung Smart uh, Smart TV area, Smart App area, and I downloaded the PW Torch app, and I get to read PW Torch articles on my TV screen now when I'm in the Smart, Samsung Smart TV area. Pretty cool. If you've got a uh, one of the last two years' models Samsung Smart TVs or DVD players, you can download the PW Torch app for free from the Samsung App Store. And also, now I host the PW Torch livecast on Tuesdays and Fridays. The show is on five days a week and sometimes six, because we do special post-pay-per-view shows on Sundays. And I host on Tuesdays and Fridays. Uh, Tuesday, I hosted with James Caldwell, assistant editor of PWTorch.com. Next Tuesday, Jason Powell of ProWrestling.net will be back with me. But since today is Friday, as has been the case for almost two years now, it is Interview Friday. And we have had an amazing, uh, wide-spectrum, of great guests over the past year and a half to two years on interview Friday. And uh, Bruce Mitchell is joining me today for uh, an interview. Both of us are looking forward to with one of our, uh, I think, a guest, Bruce, who has a more wide varied experience in the wrestling industry, spanning so many different territories, so many different eras, and also a, uh, an author of one of pro wrestling's best books, J.J. Dillon. Uh, Bruce, uh, welcome to the show.
5: I'm glad to be here particularly for the, particularly for this interview.
3: Uh no, no I, uh, JJ are you with us yet? Yep, so JJ hasn't called in yet, but uh, Bruce you just talked to him right beforehand. He got caught in a rainstorm and uh he's trying to find I I guess a safe place to uh call and get reception. So he will be with us momentarily. Uh or as uh Keith Olbermann might have said, presently. Um Bruce, uh why don't we talk a little bit about JJ Dillon? It's kind of a primer for his arrival on today's show. Um, uh, people might know him best on air as the manager of the Four Horsemen. I mean, I think that would probably be his most famous on-air role. But if that's all people know him for, he wore so many other hats. He was an executive in WCW during a tumultuous time in WCW's final years. Um, he was in a top executive position when Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara came in. He was kind of in the camp that was alarmed by some of the decisions Vincent and ed were making and and was part of the political faction that got them ousted after just a, a few months in power um he also in between being on air as a four horseman and uh and working for WCW as an executive he worked uh behind the scenes in the wwf in a position that was subsequently held by jim ross and uh john Laurinaitis as executive well i don't know if they had executive vp titles but he was in charge of talent relations so he fielded calls from wrestlers who had problems. He uh, let them know about scheduling and also uh, dealt with payroll issues. He's kind of the bad cop to Vince McMahon. But his career includes a lot more than that, Bruce. Talk about his uh, pre-Four Horseman days and anything else you want to add to that.
5: Well, um, you, you talked about his book. I mean, one of the best wrestling books there is because of – and. and... Because of the breadth of his experience and also the jobs that he had, he was a consigliere. He was an advisor. He was a booker. He was a um, he um, was a referee. He was a guy who put up the ring. He was a guy who um, you know enhancement talent. Then he was a main event heel and a main event manager and a booker of you know in charge of the of territories and on committees and working with some of the top people across the board in the professional wrestling business, it's hard to even come up with someone who has that experience. I mean, the name of his book is Wrestlers Are Like Seagulls, and the subtitle is From McMahon to McMahon. So in other words, from Vincent J. McMahon of the WWF all the way to Vincent Kennedy McMahon, the one we know today. Um, and, and he's worked for For everybody, and he has a you know and one of the reasons why he's done that is because he's very intelligent, learned the business and and changed with the business and and went through the ups and downs of the of the wrestling business, the highs and the lows and he's you know most well known for being in the w w e Hall of fame in his man, in his role as the manager of the Four Horsemen, but he also managed a ton of other top talent in the top territories and he worked with Eddie Graham, who was you know the person who taught. A lot of the bookers, um, how to book, or, or or influence them, or was a was a godfather to them, I and mean, he worked he worked for Sam Mushnick. He worked for you know he was Dusty Rhodes' right hand man at, at the um, in that time. Um, Wade, keep talking because I, I just I've got well he just called me so I don't know what exactly is here. So yeah, well go go ahead and
3: what I'll do is I'm gonna uh, give get the VIP plug out of the way now rather than taking up time with JJ. So okay. I'm going to do a quick uh plug. Put your phone on mute, Bruce, that you're on the radio show with, and give him a call back and uh then come back and update us. Okay. Great. Now uh, are you sure you gave him the right call in info and password? I know. Yes, you know. I'm
5: looking right at the text, so I'd like yes.
3: I, yeah, I did. You're very sure it's it's not blurry yes, or anything. Lo- <laughs> <Okay.
5: I'm> lo- <laughs> right. Yeah.
3: <laughs> but yeah. Um But he didn't answer the phone when he called.
5: Um no, he he didn't. So it's like he just called me and then got yeah. off the line. I thought, okay, maybe he got on the Right up, well, that I'm could
3: also be a case of the, the rainstorm knocked out of cell service for wherever he is um, yeah, I'd, calling us from. So hopefully weather isn't going to be, uh, you know, won't be a problem too much longer. But I know he was looking forward to the show, so I'm sure he'll be with us. Uh, uh, Bruce, go ahead and talk more about uh, about. Well,
5: JG, let me JG. talk about that. I also want to talk about the reason that, that he's here, and we'll talk yeah. with him about this, too. Yep. Um, August 1st, 2nd, 3rd, and 4th is the Mid-Atlantic Fan Fest at the University of Hilton in um in Charlotte, North Carolina, and it's a four-day event with a lot of great things going on on with it. One um, and JJ J. Dillon has been a part of this event for many years, and um, and, and very gracious to fans, talking to people, it's an opportunity to meet a wide variety of wrestlers, particularly from the, the, the that 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 start in the Mid-Atlantic area, but also from all over the country. Of it from the 80s and the 90s, and um, I, I've been to this several times. I really enjoy it. Um, I, in fact, I got the opportunity twice. They have a Hall of Heroes banquet, which is like their Hall of Fame, and I got and and lots of really cool things happening in that. But I um, got the opportunity twice to sh- share a table at this banquet. It's a banquet and then a dinner, you know. And then a, you know, then they honor the folks um, with JJ, and it was. um Really interesting and, and really a, a fun, cool time. Um, one of the things they're going to have on the Friday night, they're going to have the banquet. Then after the banquet, that I'm really excited about because we've talked about this on on this on this show, is the premiere of the documentary of the movie um, Jim Crockett Promotions: The Glory Day, you know, the Glory Days. And I, I've seen a lot of this. I've helped with this move, with this documentary, and uh, Michael Elliott is cutting it and putting it together. You know, right up to that deadline. And I think people are going to be surprised and amazed at how good this is. I think this has a chance to be, as to be for the Mid Atlantic Territory, um, what Memphis Heat was for the Memphis area something that people who remember it really enjoy, will really enjoy from the 80s and the 70s and the 60s. But also, people um, who are outside the territory, who are wrestling fans, even for today, will look at it and go, wow. This is really interesting. This is really cool, and a lot of the people I've said this before. A lot of people are in the WWE Hall of Fame and today's fans are, are you know, very much you know know that Hall of Fame um, came from Mid Atlantic right into WWF in the 80s, and um, you know made a you know made a huge impact. And so there'll be a lot of familiar you know there'll be a lot of familiar names, including James J. Dillon, The Full Horseman, Ric Flair, Tully Blanchard, Arn Anderson. And Ole Anderson and Barry Wyndham and and Lex Luger, but a lot of a lot of folks. Blackjack Mulligan's in that Hall of Fame. Um, there's a ton of people, and I, I was really surprised. And and I don't know if JJ Dillon knows this, but Monday night, and you and I didn't talk about this on the on the on the VIP show we do for our audio members coming up this weekend, but. The Wyatt family debut, part of the Wyatt family debut was a series of vignettes on Monday Night Raw this, this week of a reporter from WWE.com, they never showed him, going out into the woods to find the Wyatt family, to find okay. this family. And it was very reminiscent of something J.J. Um, J. Dillon did in the Florida Territory before he became the manager of the Full Horseman, where he was the number one heel manager and he was managing the trader, Ron Bass against the family of Dusty Rhodes, Blackjack Mulligan, Barry Windham um and and he went into and he he hired some a cameraman to follow him into the woods and each week he would go closer and closer to find the family and then when he found them they shot at him and he ran for you know he was the northern guy in, in a tuxedo and he ran for his life but um there I thought very reminiscent of what we saw on Monday night. Now you might think, okay, that was and it was about 30 years ago, maybe a little bit more than 30 years. You might think, you know, coincidence. But the thing that, if it, wasn't it was a coincidence, is a really interesting one because Black Jack Mulligan's grandson is Bray Wyatt. So, um, you know, and Barry Wyndham is his uncle. So, I mean, it, it, you wondered whether and WB owns that, owns that. You wonder whether, you know, in the course of putting this together for NXT and the course of all that, whether you know, old is new and weather some things. Um, and it was a very new thing for wrestling. You know, it was the videos, telling a story through videos was not done very You know, had never been done before. Um, and Dylan had come up with this idea to get over his, um, you know, to get over his feud with Dusty Rhodes and with, with the Mulligan family. So um, it was a very, you know, and to get over Ron Bass's feud with him too. So it was very interesting that that came there and hopefully we'll be able to talk to him a little bit about that. I know it is that that those vignettes um, were part of his book, and he's there to um, he's there to introduce and to um, induct Les Thatcher. And lots of fans today know Les Thatcher because he's very active in many of the um, wrestling news sites and giving analysis. And he also is um, you know running you know helping to run wrestling promotions even to this day, and has trained a lot of people in his Heartland Wrestling Promotion. For, for folks and he was a guy who was a wrestler underneath but also did a lot of broadcasting and did a lot of um production things for different wrestling shows over the years in in the 70s and the 80s and he's another person that has has this long wide ranging you know that, that adopted the changes in the wrestling business and and so um i look forward to look forward to seeing jj do that um do we want to see if jj's here with us or or um
3: One way that you can help us sustain our schedule of putting out podcasts throughout the week is by giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Just go to Apple Podcasts and look for our Wade Keller Processing Podcast and Wade Keller Processing Post Show and give us a five-star rating. We hope you think we've earned that score with our fast turnaround times and our quantity and quality of wrestling analysis throughout the week. So take a moment out for us and do us a favor and give us a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts. That helps us on search returns and helps us grow. And if you want, you can add a few comments about what you like about the programs in the comments section. Thank you so much.
4: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting.
0: Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem-solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
3: Uh, JJ, have you called in yet? Yeah, we would have heard a ping. I, I just tried his phone while you were talking, Bruce, and it's still just ringing. So my hunch is the weather got pretty bad where he is. and uh, Right. And I so mean, we're waiting on that. Well, let, let me do this.
5: Because um, uh, I just did hear from him. Right, the show was coming on the air. And oh, exactly. Was, you he know, so I want to say that. So I talked to him. I talked to him briefly, but I talked to him and he said he was a little bit late getting home, and then he was um, definitely, do, you know, he was doing the show. He was calling in right then, and so, um, and then they were having torrential rain pour. So, um, yeah, you know, we'll. We'll see where it is. Do you want to, you know. Well, that's
3: what I'm about to say. It's let's, because uh, you so and I let me, here. Let, me,
5: let me Let me finish my little plug here. Mid-Atlantic Fan oh, please, yeah, dot, yeah. MidAtlanticFanFest.com. Um, huge amount of autograph and, and picture-taking opportunities during this. MidAtlanticFanFest.com. Um, four days of, of, we had James Mitchell on Monday. Um, watching wrestlers do karaoke ought to be very entertaining, very um, interesting, mm-hmm. and maybe entertaining in ways that we, we no one has ever considered. Um, uh, there's a, a Q and a, there's Q and As with Magnum T A and Tully Blanchard, Q and As with Rock and Roll Express Midnight Express together for the first time, um, together with photo opportunities with Jim Cornette. If you haven't seen Jim Cornette do one of his late night midnight rants, um, they're they're very entertaining, and um, <laughs> and I'm always yep. grateful that my name's not mentioned in them. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, but it's, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was one year where the, the Insane Clown Posse, the famed Insane Clown Posse. I uh, stood in line to get, to ask Cornette a question, and that caused quite a little kerfuffle. kerfuffle. So, um, I mean, there's all kinds of things that can happen. And then you're surrounded by wrestling fans, and you're surrounded by people who really know their wrestling, and, and tons of merchandise and things to look at no matter what your interests are, um, things to look at and to go through and history to be seen. And there are people there that I just go and sit down to and listen to them talk because they're amazing to hear about. And, and you know, they're fans of today and fans of, of sites like this, but they're also fans that were devoted, um, go back 50 years, that's still around and still have a lot to, to share. And then just watching the wrestlers greet each other and talk to each other and get back together again for the first time in 20 and 30 years um, and then hang out and, and hold court is um, is is pretty much fun. Ole Anderson's just been announced being part of that. He usually doesn't miss these, and he's a very entertaining, very strong-minded person, um, um, and knows a you know and knew a ton and ran a ton of stuff. So exactly, you know what you're looking for. And the other the other plug: wrestling wrestlers are like seagulls. Um, from McMahon to McMahon, Scott Teal and Crowbar Press and Philip Vail who, if you've read Gary Hart's book, worked on that book too. Um, one of the JJ J. Dillon's book is one of the best wrestling books um, to read, bar none. Bar you know any any of the books that you that you've ever seen. And, and um, I know that if you go to CrowbarPress.com and look for this book, wrestlers are like seagulls. Or just look for JJ J. Dillon. Um, they have a deal where you can get an autographed copy, autograph with, and it comes with my highest recommendation. It's it's a book that um, I've read and then put it away and then gone back and read it again. And wow. always get new little parts to it, and uh, and very you know lots of entertaining stories. A good wrestling book to me, you learn a lot from, but it's not dry it's because the nature of the nature of this beast, the nature of professional wrestling, very colorful characters, very colorful people, and even the ones that you're not so sure you've heard about. And I'm always learning about new ones. Um, are pretty you know they're they're crazy, and so it's um, you know someone that's dealt with a ton of them, and particularly you know. Kept good records like like Dylan did, and kept um, you know, and has a good memory for it, and has some insight. That it's a real treat to read those books. And like I said, all the way from the McMahon, family, you know, from the McMahon family to the McMahon family, it's an it's an amazing journey that that, that Dylan went on.
3: Um, Bruce, uh, we just got ratings in from Impact. So while we uh, wait for and, uh, anticipate. I'm curious
5: as that last quarter hour because I. I I, have some, I definitely thought that was very interesting. With um, But anyway, go ahead.
3: Yeah, yeah. So let me uh, – uh, so, so as we wait for J.J. to hopefully uh, get his uh, situation in, in some uh, sounds like rough weather uh, set, hopefully he can give us a call here. Let's, uh, let's shift and talk about t and for a moment. I, I've kept track of who was on hold um, so far for T&A or for uh, J.J. Dillon. If you want to talk a little t and we don't normally do that on Fridays, just the way we're scheduled um, doing the show. Friday's is Interview Friday, and Impact is the night before. So we don't talk a lot of Impact on this show, because by the time Monday comes around, Bruce, sometimes you talk about Impact, but often you're talking about a pay-per-view, weekend news, and previewing Raw, or in the case of Monday, interviewing somebody with, with uh, James Mitchell. Um, but the, uh, we can talk some Impact. So if any of our listeners who tuned in for J.J. are listening right now and want to talk TNA and a Impact, uh, we'd welcome your phone calls on that, or to preview and talk about Money in the Bank coming up on Sunday. Uh, it's rare that Bruce Mitchell and I are on together live on the livecast, so it's a chance to uh, have a conversation with us about current events. Also, but the rating came in. Uh, we don't have quarters, Bruce. So thanks for setting uh, the bar so high. And then we. Yeah,
5: it's very so, nice. That was kind uh, of dumb.
3: Yeah. So sorry. Yes. Um, but that's why it's good to let me finish my sentences. So you don't just step all over and set the r- listeners up for you know great expectations. And now it feels like all and I got you is you the main have number. Disappoint-
5: and then you have disappointed them. Yeah. That's, that's right. Like, you make me the bad I hate guy. That.
3: Our phone number by the way, 646-721-9828. 646-721-9828. Uh, but the rating for Impact last night rebounded to a 0.99. So almost above 1.0, um, it is the highest rating that they've had since June 13th. It is the third it's a fourth highest rating. It, there's only been four times since in the last 2 months that they've been at 0.99 or higher. I'll put it that way in the last actually 10 weeks. So it's one of their better ratings. The highest rating in the last 10 weeks is a 1.07 on May 23rd. Um, but still not impressive, and it hasn't actually hit the 1.0 mark among males 18 to 49 since August of last year. And um, I think Spike TV has expanded their target audience, but still that's not good. Um, it did have their best performance among male teens, but that's not a demographic. Spike actually really cares about herself to advertisers. Uh, Bruce, quick, quick thoughts on the state of t and impact ratings.
5: Um, you know, it holds that, it, it's in that general area. I mean, I don't think that, um, I, I think it's, I think it's there, but I mean, they're not, you know, they're getting paid enough. They're getting paid what they're getting paid for Spike TV for around that general, um, rate. And I don't think that it's hard to move it. It's hard to move it up. Yeah. And I think that's, um, you know, and that's what they, to get more, you know, part of the game today is to get more out of the networks and to get more out of the networks, they need a better rating. And, and that's, um. With, with where things are configured, it's tough. You know, it's tough for them to do, and they need to do that. I mean, that's part of that's part of how they're going to generate their income, and um, it's kind of there. I just thought, you know, I thought the last segment though, um, it was really. Holy Ray, well,
3: it set the stage. A lot of people into okay. the show.
5: Okay. Last segment was, and the and the show built to this. And I thought the last segment, in many ways, was done really well. Um, the whole the show was. Was Chris Sabin, the X Division champion, going to turn in the X Division title to Hulk Hogan, the general manager, and get his title shot at Destination X next week, which is a live show next week for for Spike TV? I mean, for for TNA, for TNA Impact against Bully Ray. And Bully Ray and Aces and Eights did not want Chris Sabin to do that. Had tried to bully him and you know jumped him and all that kind of stuff. And so Hulk Hogan came out. Did an excellent job of setting the stage for Chris Sabin, and um, and as far as like how this was produced and, and what was said by everybody involved, um, you know Hogan said, you know now's the time to make the decision. I know what I want you to do. You know everybody in TNA is behind Chris Sabin. We know you can beat Bully Ray, and this would be a huge deal. I mean, he really built it up. Chris Sabin comes out, um, he's standing with the title belt, and then he's about to make his decision. And it looks very much like he's going to turn the belt to 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 Hulk Hogan when the heel, when Bully Ray interrupts and comes out with aces and eights, and and Hogan standing there, and and Bully Ray tells him, "Don't do it, you know, don't do this. I'm a very bad person, and you'll be very sorry." And you know, ace, you know, aces and eights ace is going to make sure that you don't win. And Chris Sabin tells him off, and he uses what they built up before. I mean, he uses that that he had um, he was the person who who penned and ended Team 3-D. And he was the only person to ever, ever kick out of, of Bully Ray's finisher. And that he was ready, and his whole life is ready, and he was really strong about it. And then, you know, he said, well, Aces and Ace will stop you. Then Sting appeared on the ramp, and, and there was the main event mafia, including Rampage Jackson, you know, standing there saying, it's going to be one-on-one. And they really set it up well, but there's a problem. And it's a fundamental problem. There's no getting around it. Chris Saban's standing there. Um, he's wearing tennis shoes, jeans, long sleeve shirt. He's got the belt, um, and he's dwarfed by Hulk Hogan. He's dwarfed by Bully Ray, and he looks like a guy that would be in the crowd, a smaller guy from the crowd. And it, it you know, I wish that that wasn't. I mean, he's very talented in his way. I mean, he's a very good wrestler in the ring. But it didn't pass the um, it didn't pass the credibility test.
3: Yeah,
5: and it's you know and it's got to be and it's hard to do that. You know Austin Aries, I thought that was a problem with Austin Aries. He did a better job. But one of the things is you can't go in there dressed up like somebody from the crowd. Yeah. And I know that I know that may be a generational wrestler thing, but it doesn't work. I mean, I don't think it works with fans today either. You've got to you've got to look like there's got to be something about your look. You know, Rey Mysterio is that size or smaller, but Rey Mysterio had the mask and, you know, and had the outfit and and, and looked like a little superhero. Yeah. And he could, and, and then he wrestled like that, too, and it, it was credible. I mean, it, and, and it was credible because people bought it. With Saban, I mean, it really, I mean, you couldn't point a finger at anybody at all except for the guys miscast in that role. And it's a really tough, you know, you just look at him going, you know, whether you're watching a movie, whether you're reading a book, you know, what if you're reading some sort of action adventure or watching an action adventure movie, that hero has to be credible.
6: Judy
0: was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com.
4: It's my little escape.
0: Now Judy's the life of the party.
4: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
7: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs>
3: March through pro wrestling history with a PW Torch VIP membership throughout the week. Every week, we jump back 18 years to our earliest podcasts, and you can march through our coverage of pro wrestling history with our contemporaneous coverage of all the major pay per views, Wade Keller hotlines with behind the scenes news, the Bruce Mitchell audio shows with in depth current events analysis at that time, along with history lessons and strong opinions the real deal with pat mcneil with the hot five stories of the week and the indie show lineup of the week and more go vip and relive wrestling history or learn about it for the first time as we continue to march through our 2005 library near the anniversary dates of when they aired 18 years ago on that date to become a pw torch vip member go to pwtorch.com/govip and sign up today
5: All right, I've got. You can take it from here. I've got Dylan on the line on my on my phone. Oh, great. Right?
3: Okay. Okay. Yep. Um. So very good. I want to announce that next Hello? week on the PW Torch JJ. livecast, yeah. our guest is scheduled to be the Million Dollar oh, Man, Ted DiBiase.
5: Um. you first
3: time, uh, Bruce? You should mute us. You should mute us if you can hear me. All right. I think you did. Um. The uh, Million Dollar Man, Teddy Biazzi, our guest next week on the PW Torch livecast. We're excited to have him on the show. I interviewed him about 20 years ago—a long-form interview, multi-hour interview for the Pro Wrestling Torch okay. Yearbook—and uh, that oh interview gosh. is available for VIP okay, me, members. Um, and me sure that, and I uh, encourage you to, uh, if you you're a VIP member, 804, to check that out. You can find it um, in the uh, um, in the archives of our. Uh, of our uh, audio, of our uh, VIP audio show section. Okay. So um, in the okay. meantime, you can listen I to that. But he will be live on the show next week, taking your phone calls live next Friday. We are excited to make that JJ, announcement.
5: so that's my fault. Eight, it's
3: All right, so um, we are, uh, it's, uh, from one one what I'm able to pick up from listening to Bruce, he uh, sent him the wrong
11: phone, two four uh, phone number to
3: call in, and so he sad. is uh, now speaking to JJ without muting the phone. Eight so I will four. keep talking with uh, Bruce in the background. And uh, just give a plug to the Money in the Bank post-show, 30 minutes after the completion of the Money in the Bank pay-per-view match, uh, or the pay-per-view event, we will uh, be going live. James Caldwell will be hosting and taking your phone calls live with your thoughts on the Money in the Bank pay-per-view match. So uh, we hope you will join us Sunday night with your thoughts live. Uh, Bruce, are you back? Yeah, I am. You needed to hit mute there, by the way. We heard everything, including, I was trying to talk over you. Oh, my God, I'm so so, sorry.
5: I thought I did. No, you didn't. Um, it was my fault. And so hopefully people didn't hear that code. Well, I mean, I guess it doesn't matter. So.
3: Um, yeah, so you you did give him the wrong info, even though I asked if you did, and you said you, you were sure you did.
5: Yeah, I messed it up. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
3: You know. All right. Well, cool. So we should hear from him in a moment here. So anyway, I had a chance to plug next week's guest, Million Dollar Man, Teddy Biasi, and also uh, the post Money in the Bank pay-per-view show. Thanks, everybody, for uh, sticking with us here and including that impact analysis. Uh, Bruce, I'm with you. I I think Chris Saban, just to talk uh, talk on that subject, is wait for JJ to chime in here. I I was not a. uh, I I thought the first thing he did when he came back set the stage for him to get a a good underdog push, and it was going to be a fun summer program. And I think everything he did since then has showed that he just might not have that it factor. It's not just his size. There's just something that is really, I mean, I hate to say it, but very bland about the way that he presents himself and and just a little too nonchalant and I'm just not sure that casting him as an underdog babyface is the right role. You know, he had he he played well off of Alex Shelley. Um and that worked uh with Ian Alex Shelley, but Alex Shelley was a stronger personality and Sabin kind of played off of him well. Uh but I just not sure as a singles wrestler it's the right role for him and it it is unfortunate, but I'm with you. I'm not I'm not on the Chris Sabin bandwagon right now, even though I thought his first promo set the stage well. He's kind of rested on that and just repeated himself in kind of a bland way since then.
5: Yeah, I, you know, it just uh, it it just didn't look right. I mean, his promo was good, but it was like it, but it just didn't. It needed to be something more. Something needed to be there with it. I am, by the way, I'm yeah.
3: Now TNA doesn't have a great track record um, as far as pushing um guys who haven't been established as stars elsewhere. And and that plays into it too. I mean, that was one of the criticisms of Eric Bischoff, who is involved to one degree or another behind the scenes in TNA now. They're just there's there's something about TNA and even WCW going back to the Nitro years, with a couple exceptions, Dallas Page and uh uh Dallas Page and uh Goldberg. They just that wasn't their strength. And Hold it seems to be carrying over to TNA. Uh JJ, are you with us? Bruce, are you there?
5: Okay. Let me, let me, let me, all right, let me, I'm I'm so sorry, let me try, let me
3: go real slow. This is my fault. All right, Bruce, you're still on. You haven't muted your phone yet. (laughs) All right, so Bruce is trying to get uh, JJ, the right code, to call in, and uh, I am talking about TNA's inability to make stars, and I think that's part of what is working against Chris Saban um, is that TNA just historically, and I think sometimes it's been politics, and I've talked about this a lot on the VIP Keller hotline, there have been people in power who had it in their best interest to keep, the power. And it's one of the things that did in WCW, and it's something that I think has hurt TNA over the years. It's a mix of just not having that skill set and that experience or the right people to work with, although I'd argue they've had a number of right people to work with, combined with, whether it's conscious or subconscious, kind of sabotaging the, uh, the, 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 the creation of new stars. Because if you create new stars, you're essentially creating a your replacement. You're training the fans to see somebody new as a star, and you become less valuable. And I'm not saying that's, that that's happening with Saban. Um, but I think that's always, that that's so consistently there. You can't ignore it. Anytime that they try to create a new star. So anyway, um, JJ Dillum. JJ, welcome to the livecast. Wade Keller here.
6: Hey Wade, how are you?
3: Uh, doing good. Sorry about the logistical problems, but we got in a, uh, a, a very nice preview of, of of your being a guest and your career and your participation in uh, the upcoming uh, Mid Atlantic uh, convention. And talked about the War Horseman days. And Bruce, uh, Bruce, are you there still?
5: Uh, you know, I really like to go crawl under a rock right now. I am so sorry. I apologize so much. Um, I just I, I transposed one one number wrong, and and it messed it all up. It and JJ, Lawrence,
3: by part. the way, Bruce, 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 shut up for a minute. You're on. You're on. You're on. uh, uh prob- You're think, on I probation.
6: Bruce has been waiting all these years to play a rib on me, and I think he finally got it. <laughs>
3: Well, JJ, I want to accentuate this. I told Bruce either on or off air, "Are you sure you sent him the right code?" I know you—you know—you might have had blurry vision. It's easy to—you know—mix
5: up a number. He's like, "Oh no, I'm looking right at it. We're good." <laughs> I'm just so oh, mad. I just—and then I looked at it. I was like, "There's that one. Oh, I screwed uh, this up." Now I, I'm going in for eye surgery right before this Atlantic Fan Fest, so I, I can't say that. I'm not kidding.
6: So, and um, and I appreciate you guys because I was about to use this cell phone for a hockey puck. So uh, you, I, you guys saved my cell phone. Yeah. Oh. Well,
3: well, uh, JJ, as I said, we got a great introduction for you. I appreciate you taking time to join us. We'll just forget about the logistical stuff for a minute, and uh, just thank you for being on. You have worn so many hats in the professional wrestling industry, have been so many places, rubbed shoulders with so many influential top names over the years, and uh, it, it it is difficult to know where to start. Now, I told Bruce he got to ask the first question because he screwed up. I'm gonna I'm gonna change that and then we'll be done giving bruce a hard time or i will be but i won't question for you i want you to name the three and this might be a challenge off the top of your head but uh who are the three most interesting human beings that you've dealt with at a high level in an office position um over the years because you've been with so many people and i I'm a, i want to exclude wrestlers for a moment because that's that might even be tougher to there's such a large scope of people you've worked with, but on an executive level, who are the three most interesting people that you've had a chance to work quite a bit with?
6: Wow, interesting! It, I'm just trying to. The word "interesting" is what's. Uh, I mean, but a lot of interesting. I mean, obviously, working with Vince McMahon uh, was interesting to say the least. Yeah, uh, and um, I can go back to being, uh, you know, in the office. And not actually working in the office, but working with him. And Jim Barnett, when he was alive, was yeah. a very, a very interesting, uh, <laughs> uh, interesting character. Who the third one would be? I mean, all of the years, um, a guy who I had a lot of respect for, and and am thrilled to this day when I see him. Uh, and he's well up in years, and and manages to come back to CAC as former NWA president Bob guy
4: a uh, cool. Very
6: interesting person, and I only met Dory Funk Senior one time, and it was when I first broke into the business. And uh, Dory was the champion, and there was a Greensboro show, and I want to say it was uh, Dory defending the title, and then there was a tag match with uh, Terry Funk and Dory Senior, and I don't even remember against who. And Terry or, or Dory had asked me to come down over early and come by their hotel and meet Senior, and they were wanting to talk to me about when I was done in Charlotte coming coming to Amarillo. So that was the only time I actually met Dory Funk Sr., and I left uh, Charlotte after my initial run. I was there a little over two years. went to the Canadian Maritimes for the summer, and it was while I was in the Maritimes that I got the call that uh, Senior had this massive heart attack and passed, passed away. So I'm delighted that I at least... Got to the meeting one time, but Bob Geigel. if I if could have a vision in my own mind if I had met senior after that spent any time with him, Bob Geigel is what I think senior probably would have been by been like, and that's why maybe why i uh you know think so much of Bob Geigle, very good.
3: Now you can subscribe to our VIP podcast lineup within the Apple podcast app using your Apple account. That's new as of March 2022. Just search PW Torch in your Apple podcast app and you'll see the PW Torch Daily Cast logo show up. That's our free show that's been around forever. And also the PW Torch VIP podcast logo. There is a free show every week. So subscribe even if you don't plan to go VIP and get a sample of our VIP tier programming. But if you click subscribe, then you'll become a VIP member instantly with a three-day free trial, after which your Apple account will be charged. So you don't need to take out your credit card, debit card, or go anywhere else. If you listen to our free shows on Apple Podcasts, you are five seconds away from being a VIP member with a three-day free trial. So we invite you to check it out. That includes dozens of VIP shows throughout the week, including VIP versions of the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling post shows and podcasts and daily casts. All those episodes are presented to VIP members with ads and plugs removed, along with VIP exclusives like our post-pay-per-view roundtables, the Wade Keller Hotline, The Fix with Todd and Wade, everything with Rich and Wade, and many other VIP exclusive shows. Just search PW Torch within the Apple Podcasts app.
9: 18
3: uh, plus. Uh, Bruce, go, go ahead and uh, ask your first question. Let's uh, keep rolling well, here.
5: Um, yeah, um, you know, it, it, kind of in the same vein, you talked about working in Amarillo for, um, for the Funks. And you tell a great story in your book, Wrestlers Are Like Seagulls, um, From McMahon to McMahon. And we, I plugged it, but I'm going to plug it again, from Crowbar Press. I mean, it's one of the best wrestling books out there. You tell a great story about, um, the sports editor in Amarillo, who was not a, a pro wrestling fan, who was, you know, very critical of the sport and very critical of the validity of it, and and what and how Terry Funk reacted to it, and you you and Terry Funk had a match. Can you tell that story? I mean, I, I just yeah, actually, one. actually, it was the sports
6: editor from San Antonio.
5: San Antonio. And, okay, Excuse me.
6: Yeah, and we uh, we didn't work San Antonio on a regular basis. It wasn't like one of the weekly towns, like. Emerilgo and El Paso and Odessa and Abilene and Lubbock, and we would go there. I don't remember how often, but anyway, uh, it, this, the local sports writer wrote a, an op-ed column and basically was it was more critical, as I remember, of wrestling fans. In other words, how how can you be so uh, stupid or duped? Or you know, I, don't, I don't want to put words in mouth because I don't have the article right in front of me, but. It was very negative uh, in tone about putting down professional wrestling, and actually putting down people who would buy a ticket and and come see it. And so Terry Funk called him and said, you know, uh, I want to talk to you. I got on the phone and, it, and I don't remember his name immediately, but. He said, uh, You know, I, I just I took exception to your article, and I just, I have a couple of questions. And he wanted to ask me, he said, Have you ever actually physically been to a wrestling match? And, well, no. So Terry said, mm-hmm. It seemed kind of funny that you could, you know, have such a negative opinion of something that you've never actually seen yourself. So Terry invited him. He said, The next show coming up in San Antonio, he said, I only now want you to come down. But he said, we will make you a special referee for the night, and you can get in the ring for the main event as the referee, and you can't get any closer than that. And the instructions are simple, the rules are simple, and somebody's shoulders down, you, you count three, and there's some basic rules that uh, warrant a disqualification, but it's not that complicated. You could do it. And then uh, after you have accepted my invitation come down and referee to the match then you can write whatever you want and i'll live with uh you know with whatever with whatever you have to say after you've physically been there and actually been in the ring that close so the guy took him up on it and he came down to the next show the main event was myself and, uh, and terry funk and terry funk even on a good day it was uh physically brutal to be in the ring with. He's a very physical guy and a great champion, a great competitor. And that night, um, it was, to use the word close, about as close as two guys can get in terms of, uh, you know, there was no conversation in the ring, no joking, nothing. And, you know, and I, and I at the beginning I told the referee, I said, well, you know, these people like him and they don't like me so I just expect you to call it down the middle, and if you do it that way and don't get swept up with a crowd emotion, I won't have a problem with however you call it, but I didn't expect you to do that, and I think the guy was petrified once he was in the ring with a with an arena full of people, but uh, we had the match. I, I don't remember the outcome. I'm, I'm, I'll am probably look back in the record book and find that Terry won, but uh, the guy uh, um, wrote an article immediately following it, and if you talk about somebody going 180 degrees, that's exactly what he did. And he apologized for his previous comments and, and and had nothing but the utmost respect for us after being in the ring and seeing the physical punishment, how hard people hit each other, et cetera, et cetera.
5: True story. I mean, it's amazing that you, you could work at that close and that you could work together, but at the same time, um, take someone who who was that critical and it was look, you know, obviously it was going to be looking for, um, holes and and looking for things that didn't make sense and, and, and turn them around and convince them, particularly in in that era, lots of sports editors were not fans of professional wrestling. We're not fans of, of, of what they thought they saw. So, um, I wanted to ask you, um, you're in, in the WWE hall of fame with the full horseman and you do work for, um, their legends round table and you, you know, part of their legends deal. Um, when you were up up there a year or so ago for that Hall of Fame ceremony and just being around WWE again, um, are there modern stars that are respectful of of what you've accomplished, or who stands out that has a sense of the history of the business that um, is, is working there now? Well, I,
6: I find all of them respectful to start to start with, uh, which uh, you know I'm thrilled that. Uh, you know, even the guys just starting out are all uh respectful. I guess that's that's the key word. Uh the guys that are probably more so are the guys that have been there, been around the business for a while and guys that, that uh uh I can't think of anybody that was there that I actually wrestled but I'm talking about uh Triple H, I'm talking about Undertaker, I'm talking about Shawn Michaels, um uh, you know, these were all guys who have a history in the business and have demonstrated over the years, you know, a level of respect for the people that paved the way for them. And uh, of the of the current group, the one guy who was uh, stood out as being particularly re- respectful with CM Punk, uh, just um, you know, just over the top polite, and uh, I actually. Uh, After that, went to a. I had a a college reunion in in Reading, Pennsylvania, and my fraternity uh, had a banquet that night. And as it worked out, the the WWE was in town, and Arn Anderson was uh, the lead agent on the show. So I I left the dinner early to go down to the arena. And um, CM Punk was there, and it was my first opportunity to see Paul Heyman too. I hadn't seen Paul in years, and Arn knew I was coming and the show had already started and it came in the back door and uh, and I think it surprised a lot of other people. Paul Heyman was, uh, you know, beside himself and, and I have a lot of respect for him because just when everybody thought that the idea of a manager in wrestling was a dead issue in the modern era, you know, along comes the Brock Lesnar and now it's the right scenario mm-hmm. and Paul Heyman stepped into those shoes and has done... Uh, an outstanding job, but CM Punk came up to me and he said, "You know, would you would you be willing to please take a picture with uh, uh, him and I with Paul?" And I said, "Absolutely, of course." And uh, it was just that kind of uh, show of respect. And I, and I stayed. Uh, they had a monitor back there. I didn't go out in front of the crowd. And I watched on the monitor the various matches. And and I did leave uh, um, as the main event it was in the ring so that I could beat the crowd. And, I was spending the night, but CM was in the main event, and right before he went on, he came over, shook my hand, and said that he appreciated my spending time backstage and watching the monitor and watching the matches and demonstrating to the current guys that that uh, the, the so-called legends still had an interest in the business and a passion for it, and 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 wanted to to stay and watch. I I was very, very impressed by uh, CM Punk. In
11: 2012,
12: NXT transitioned into the developmental system and ultimately the brand you see today. On the Torch VIP podcast, NXT Eight Years Back, we'll be taking a weekly look at this page in NXT's early history.
3: Join Kelly Wells and me, Tom Stout, from PWT Talks NXT every Saturday as we go eight years back to the day to track NXT's rising talents and why they did or didn't work out. Exclusively for PW Torch VIP members.
5: Um in, in kind of the same vein, um, I don't know if you know this, but or you got a chance to see Monday night show but they introduced the Wyatt family and of course the head of the Wyatt family is Wyndham rotunda who um you know whose father you worked with and whose grandfather you worked with and they did a, a series of vignettes before they introduced the Wyatt family of a reporter from ww.com going out into the woods into the backwoods where the Wyatt family was and I was watching it going I've seen this before <laughs> and um, I think you know where I'm going with this. I mean, I was just and, and the fact the, that it
6: was and Blackjack on horseback, and me in a limo.
5: Absolutely, the saga of the family. It was very reminiscent, except for a reporter. You were you were the manager of Ron Bass, the trader to the family. And if you could tell that story of the vignettes, it was and and what Eddie Graham's reaction to who was the owner promoter in Florida, who you were working for at the time when you proposed this this television miniseries. On Florida Championship Wrestling, if you if you could talk about that,
6: yeah, you know Dusty, uh, I worked with Dusty many many years, and, and Dusty, I think it's a, a bad rap a lot of times for his, you know, his booking style and what he's contributed. Dusty is a brilliant guy. He's a brilliant as a character, uh, as the American Dream. He's brilliant as someone who understands the business and. um uh, great creative skills. In Florida, when you're producing one hour of television a week, Eddie realized the value of that program that went to all of the towns eventually and was very, just by the fact of the credibility of a Jack Briscoe and how a Gordon Soley called the match. um, And when the idea came up of, again, as a heel I, anybody could go on there and just say say bad things, and and after a while, no matter how creative you get to be, you know, gets to be repetitive. So, I I took pride in the fact that I would always try to think of different approaches to eventually accomplish the same thing, but to do it in a in a fresh way, and that's what the saga of uh, was, which you know. I think Dusty brought one of his saddles in, and 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 actually it was a takeoff of an old cowboy series where uh, uh, the the old ranger would talk about the old days, and I mean there's nothing original in wrestling, and that's really where that came from, where you know sitting kind of by the fireside and talking about something. So I got some books from the library and just. Fabricated this story of of looking at at some of these old western guys and basically saying that Dusty and Blackjack Mulligan were reincarnations of, of of these dastardly miserable outlaws that lived 100 years ago and were no better than they were. And I don't think Eddie was all that supportive. We had theme music to open it, and, and you know, I think Eddie. When I understand because I had so much respect for him. He probably he did have the greatest impact of anybody, but he let us go on with it. And it was taking up TV time with just talk. And I, I, they didn't, the segments didn't go long, as I remember, but they certainly were different. And I have more people after all of these years that will come up and comment to me that remember those segments. So obviously they had an impact uh, yeah, I, I really don't best. know
5: whether it was a coincidence or not, but I mean, I, I thought there was a real, you know, there's nothing new in wrestling, but I thought there was a real parallel. And it was pretty cool to see that, you know, 30 years ago, J.J. J. Dillon got chased out of the family and shot at and ran out into the woods, and pretty much the same thing happened on Monday Night Raw for, um, and, and for Bray it was Wyatt. One who,
11: ca- yeah.
6: Just like the uh, the ambush where we beat up Dusty it was a one-camera shoot, and a guy in the seat of a limo and then he'd get out and and i'm you know i'm all dressed up in a limo and and being my arrogant self and and here comes dusty and and blackjack riding up on horseback and, uh, and blackjack pulls out the gun and cocks it and what are you doing here a couple shots in the air and all, i mean it was like it was like a three stooges type thing i jump up and down like a runner for my life and and then, uh, of course, the next thing you see is uh cut to this to the studio where uh you know i'm I'm filthy, dirty, what have you, and then I've got this poor, sympathetic story about how i you know you know was unjustly treated, ran for my life <laughs> well, I guess it's a funny line it was a funny line, and then it's still funny now I said uh, I was you know viciously attacked by armadillos that if you come up with one armadillo, all they do is roll up in the hall and play dead, but it just was—it was, was cutting-edge, entertaining television. That, as I look back, uh, I, I think really was ahead of its time.
5: We've seen, a, yeah, we've definitely seen that idea of the movie coming into the in pro, pro wrestling. And I, I just thought, wow! I mean, here here watching Blackjack Mulligan's grandson, um, yes, and, you know, the, you know, the, the the nephew of Barry Windham doing that. So you know, in that same way, getting a, pro, Small getting world. a promotion from there, yeah. Um, well, talk about the full horseman for a minute. What is it about the full horseman where where that concept with that a, a manager with a group of with a group of wrestlers i mean that the, you had that in texas you had that in in Florida and in memphis and in and, and in georgia and and but what is it about the full and and so did many other managers what is it about the full horseman that it seems to have lived on you know a couple of years ago when you guys did the reunion in Charlotte at at the fan fest the overwhelming um reaction to it and then and getting into the hall of fame, what is it about the Four horseman that that has that life to it that that continues
6: you know I, I to this day really can't explain it to you other than the I was involved in creative right from the very beginning of my career because when I broke into the business, I was as a full time wrestler much of my twenty ninth birthday. And I'd been a referee for eight years, part-time. So I wasn't a kid. And my my approach on the business was different than a than an 18-year-old kid that's a great athlete that's now, you know, breaking into the business. So I knew that if I was going to have any longevity that I had to look at all aspects of the business and, and took a keen interest in the creative side, television production, matchmaking right from the get-go. And um, it, it's interesting that... Uh, creative people can sit down and just, you know, discuss ideas, discuss characters. Which, more the early Vince Man, did it become a discussion of of characters and then refining them. Uh, and what you find out is that sometimes those ideas that you think, boy, this is this isn't going to be a grand slam home run, this is beautiful, and for whatever the reason the fans just look the other way and have absolutely no interest in it. And, and something that you just kind of go with because that person's there to give them something to do, catches on fire, and all of a sudden is the hottest thing going. Can I explain why? No. But that's the, one of the beauties of the wrestling industry is that uh, you know, you're challenged to constantly keep thinking of things, and the ultimate judge and jury are the wrestling fans. They either like it or they don't, we're either going to buy tickets to see it, or uh, uh, or they aren't. And with a horseman, it wasn't something that was a, a creative plan. It was a spontaneous thing. We were doing TV, two hours of television in addition to syndicated television for Crockett, uh, for TBS to to do that 6:05 show. <laughs> we would often roll in from having been somewhere the night before and and flying on a charter that morning to get there in time to record the show and then have to get back to the airport to fly somewhere to work another uh, arena event that night and we were not always in the best of shape and that being said probably not our sharpest mentally and physically and whatever but it just was a time where we loved what we were doing. The, the group of guys, there was a chemistry there that you—you, you, it's either there, or it's not. And we we held all the titles and went out basically just to do an interview, uh, not not to say fill time, but hey, oh, you guys got all the championship belts. Why don't you just all go out there? That way you can plug where you're going to be the following week. And and I was only managing Pully at the time, so I I went out. I was the only manager out there, and. You know, Aaron made a comment about take a good look at the picture. You know, with all these guys holding all the championship belts, and said never have so few, wreak so much havoc on everybody else. You'd have to go back in history to the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse and hold up four fingers, and that's how it started. And every time one, and in the studio in, in Atlanta, was a lot of times were Cub Scout troops, and and it, you know these weren't older, mature fans. And every time we would go to the arena. We would look out, and here's people yelling, horsemen holding up four fingers. It became an interactive thing, and it just grew and grew and grew. And it was a couple weeks before Jimmy Groffett came back and says, what's this poor horseman thing? I keep hearing about it. Jimmy, I don't know. We better pay some attention to it, because uh, it's something that the fans have picked up on. They like it. and, And as I said in my comments at the Hall of Fame, there was no way in the beginning that we ever could have anticipated how big it would become and how long it would last.
8: Do you remember when Hulk Hogan shocked the world and formed the New World Order, or when Stone Cold Steve Austin passed down on the sharpshooter to Bret the Hitman Hart? I'm Torch contributor Frank Petiani, and I've reviewed these shows and many more for my exclusive VIP podcast, Pro Wrestling Then and Now. Together with a rotating chair of co-hosts, we go back 10, 20, even 30 years, review pay-per-views from top to bottom, talk about where the wrestlers were at the time, and compare what took place then to what is taking place now. You get exclusive access to these and other podcasts as part of your PW Torch VIP membership, which is compatible with the Apple Podcasts app. Visit pwtorch.com govip for details and sign up for them.
5: It's, it's amazing. It is an amazing thing that all these years later, like that's, that still is the one of the preeminent um groups of bad guys and we see to this day in, in um in the shield and the aces and eights and as, as the years go by their their recreations and, and um variations and, and all kinds of things.
6: Um, and and that. part of the key was that we everybody was already established in the business. So it wasn't like guys trying to, you know, make their mark in the business. Everybody was at the top of their game already. And what was nice too, uh, you know, you had no clash of egos. You had, uh, uh, you know, nobody out there. If there was an interview and somebody didn't get to say something, you know, when you came back, you know, there wasn't that a situation where that guy's pouting. It was just whatever it took for the moment, knowing where we were going or what the next pay-per-view was or the next match coming up. And it was a group of guys who were together. I mean, we were away from our families. We were on the road together. We traveled together. It's not like we went separate cars and planes. And we would be in the locker room together, and then when it was over, Flair would have already announced where we were going to be that night. And, you know, we off the time would say, well, I think we'll crash tonight. And we'd get back to the hotel and race to, you know, get the wet stuff out of our bags and head for wherever we were going. And just one day ran into the next, and... As I think back, how I was able—speaking to me personally—to keep that, but that pace to this day, I—I I don't know, and it's a miracle that I didn't kill all of my brain cells and could still carry on a reasonably, uh, you know, legible conversation with you. Um,
3: um, let me jump in. If you're just joining us, this is the PW Torch livecast. I'm Wade Keller, joined by co-host Bruce Mitchell, senior columnist for Pro Wrestling Torch newsletter and PW You can read Bruce. And me and other Torch staff members answer questions in the Ask PW Torch feature every midday at pwtorch.com. It is a website exclusive, and there is a VIP exclusive question I answer every day exclusively posted on the VIP website for VIP members. We are joined by J Dillon, who has worn many hats in the wrestling industry. J.J., one of the roles that you had was working uh, behind the scenes in WCW in its final stretch of existence. And I think it's such a fascinating time, such a uh, massively uh, industry direction-changing time. When you look back at the final couple years of WCW, do you have something that you pinpoint, having been in the trenches and behind the scenes, as the number one reason, or is it, are there two, three, four reasons that collectively led to what was this successful juggernaut that brought Vince McMahon to his knees being out of business and sold for scraps, uh, not a, not really yeah. that many years later.
6: It was a painful way for me to have ended my career after all of those years. Uh, and I, you know, if you go to my website, jjdillon.com, and and you could see uh, where my book is available because it's not in bookstores and it's documented in there. I devote a whole chapter at great length to the time that I worked uh, for Vince and then Uh, the circumstances uh, under which I resigned uh, and ended up going to work for WCW, thinking that that would be my last stop in the business because there were only two major players at that point and I had left Vince and there aren't many people that that do that. And so I kind of eliminated that as a possibility to go back there. And uh, I didn't know what to expect because I had actually left there within a month to six weeks after the company was formed when they when they bought out Crockett. and so now it's uh, uh 89 to 96 you're you know you're talking about seven and a half plus years later i come back and i didn't really follow the other product uh i always uh put almost 100% of my attention to whatever I was involved in at that time, not worrying so much what uh, another promotional company might be doing. And I'd never met Eric Bischoff, um, didn't know if they would hire me. And as I I look back, because I I had such a high profile in the business, uh, probably Bischoff would have had a hard time explaining to the the higher-ups why he didn't hire me. Uh, given my background. But anyway, when I met Bischoff, uh, all he talked about was putting Vince McMahon out of business and how much longer can he hang on. And I'm expecting him, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, asking for specific proprietary information that, that would have been uh, inappropriate for me to discuss, but just general philosophies and how things are done and and he he didn't ask any questions. He wanted to do all the talking, and so my impression was one immediately that here's a guy who, boy, they think he's uh, he's the answer to the future of the business, and this guy knows absolutely nothing. And then I heard the stories that you know that he used to get coffee for Vern Gagne, and that's what he, he sold himself, which he's very good at. To uh, the higher ups, because there've been a lot of people who stepped in to run the company and then failed. So here's a guy who's enjoying some success, and I think he had a, a separate agenda from day one. He had no passion for the wrestling business and was looking looking at Hollywood and and, and other things. But as I think back, Eric Bischoff could have looked at me as a as a resource that he could have tapped into to help him take his company to a higher level or the other way to look at it would be here's someone who's spent a lifetime in the business that is going to know pretty quickly how little I know and exposing. And I think it was more the latter. So my relationship with Eric was uh, not on solid ground right right from the get-go. And I just saw things happening that were very sad to watch even I didn't think that uh you know five years later that it would get so bad that they would pull the plug because actually uh actually uh what happened was um the um, the uppers looking over Eric Bischoff's shoulder had no knowledge of wrestling. It's, and it's a simplistic industry, and yet it, it's an industry that you have to know what you're doing to run it profit, profitably as a business. So there was no one with that experience they could look over Eric's shoulder. I mean, they would look and see ratings, and they were a broadcast company, so their whole focus was on ratings and nothing else. And they thought, oh, more eyeballs, and it's going to eventually translate into more revenue and and we're going to enjoy great success. And Vince was the third generation that had a much bigger picture. Uh, he knew that he had to keep his, uh, his uh, talent costs in line. When you look at wrestling, wrestling... As a promotion, your production costs, you have some control over. But when you run live events, your rent is what your rent is. It doesn't fluctuate much. Your insurance, your advertising, et cetera, et cetera. Your one variable is your talent. When business is good, talent are accustomed to making more money and being rewarded uh, better than if the house wasn't as good last time. And so they accept the ups and and the downs. And Eric got himself backed into a corner where he had these big, Loaded guaranteed contracts that when they went out of business, uh, their talent costs were in excess of 60% of what their revenue was, and to be su- to be successful and profitable as a company, um, your your revenue costs for your talent have got to be somewhere in the, close to 25%. So 25 to 60 is, and when it's guaranteed and things slow down now you're now you're in real trouble. So it was really painful and I blame uh a couple of things. I blame Brad Siegel who was the fair haired guy who was the head of T B S and the head of T N T and going out to Hollywood and making all those uh major network movies and very high in 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 esteem of the eyes of Ted Turner and he thought he could just step in, take over the company and, and do successfully what nobody else had been able to do. And Eric Bischoff was the kind of guy who could sell himself to him. So I blame Brad Siegel because when you're paid money at that level, um, you know you're, you're, you should be able to to realize what's going on and or seek out people who do know what's going on. And he allowed Eric Bischoff removed him one time, then allowed him back to power, and then all of a sudden, uh, uh, you know, when you're making money and and all of a sudden losing five million a month and they were looking at projected losses of sixty million for the one year. Actually it was eighty million at one point and then they said cut, cut, cut. Well they cut where they could, but it was people at lower levels and the big fat guarantee contracts. In the end they were looking at sixty million in losses and with another projected sixty million the following year and they uh, well time warner said, Hey, this is just another division, we're not in the wrestling business and pulled the plug. So it was very painful. And uh, I kind of liken myself to being on the Titanic and standing in front of the radar and looking down and seeing that iceberg up ahead and knowing that unless they slow down or divert direction, you know, that it's a, it's a, uh, you know, a calamity waiting to happen and say, Hey, come here, look at this. And nobody paying any attention. That's, you know, that's what it felt like. And it was, uh, it was sad because. There was probably 70 guys that were making a full-time living that all of a sudden were out of business. I think it would have helped Vince if they stayed in business because it would have been a pool of talent that he could eventually draw from. And I feel sorry as for Ted Turner, who really had a genuine passion for wrestling. And uh, and at the end, he had a fancy title after all of the uh, you know AOL and Time Warner and others uh, came in in the mergers. and But he didn't have the personal power to the mandate that nobody touch wrestling so it was it was a sad day when it was all over like i said they, they just brought it for peanuts and and the only thing of real value was not bloated talent contracts but all that that uh, video library that he's putting to great use
3: support us on patreon starting at four dollars and 99 cents get these shows ad free and bonus vip content that's four dollars and 99 cents on patreon patreon.com slash pw torch vip That's patreon.com slash PWTorchVIP. That is the quickest, cheapest, and easiest way to support us and enjoy these shows with a streamlined listening experience, the Wade Keller post-shows, podcasts, and the PWTorch daily casts, plus some random VIP bonus content. Just a reminder, if you listen to our shows via the Stitcher app, Stitcher, unfortunately, is shutting down at the end of August, so... Plan ahead and be sure that you have subscribed to the Wade Keller podcast, the Wade Keller post shows, the PW Torch Daily Cast and the PW Torch VIP free sample feeds on a new podcast app on your phone. Our podcasts are compatible with virtually every podcast app out there. So it's as simple as searching Wade Keller and PW Torch and subscribing to the Red Show, the Blue Show, the Daily Cast multicolor logo and our charcoal colored VIP free sample podcast. i got a couple quick follow-ups, and then I want to take at least a phone call or two. And then, uh, Bruce, you can chime back in and uh, lead the interview in the direction you want to go at that point. Also, J.J. Um, Dillon is our guest, and if you want to call right now, the number is 646-721-9828. 646-721-9828. We'll go to 336 first. But first, J.J., just a, a couple quick follow-ups to what I asked about WCW. Um, so ultimately, do you think the blame for WCW going under were the guaranteed contracts, and if not or if so, what else is in the mix? I I always thought that uh, myself that one of the defining moments paired up for WCW, and Eric Bischoff agrees with this, was Nitro expanding to three hours and Thunder being added. Could you talk about how WCW was seen as a TV revenue rating generator, and the assumption was if ratings are good, everything else will fall into place. But it did not take into account that when you – spread out the creative forces when you overexpose the talent any show ends up having a, a diminishing effect in the long run That's one of the fears we have about a three-hour raw with main event and smackdown later in the week also that wwe even if they have short-term revenue benefits will have long-term ramifications in terms of overexposure and watering down creative so was that a big factor did you see that happening when nitro expanded three hours and then thunders added to the mix did you see that happening? That wow, we were pretty good at a two-hour show, and we're able to juggle our weaknesses, kind of hide our weaknesses, mask them, ban- put band aids on when they're put fires out when needed, correct course when needed. But once it got to three hours plus two hours of thunder, the infrastructure and the talent just wasn't there. Is that is that a fair hypothesis? Yeah, that is very valid,
6: and 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 I have general concerns in the in the current uh, uh, environment too because there is a lot of uh, television um uh, being produced with probably a smaller talent pool than ever in the his- history of the business in terms of uh qualified people which is why you see when you come on it's not unusual to have some kind of an exchange uh that happens verbally back and forth with virtually no action uh for upwards of a half an hour into a show and uh I- I can see that it's happening by necessity because with the amount of programming that they're having to fill, that's what they have to do. They don't have an experienced talent to give longer matches. And then the other uh, dilemma that that they're in is they are also in the pay-per-view business, so they have to protect certain matches to save them for pay-per-view to make them be worthy of somebody paying extra to see that. And also, uh, in the modern era, they're They're being paid uh you know rights fees that that also didn't exist years and years ago too, but it was a great it was of great concern. The other big thing that Vince got the heads up on was Vince pioneered um uh, licensing and merchandising, and he was light years ahead, and the guys used to get big fat checks. Uh, and they would get a printout quarterly uh, from a computer sheet that looked like a small phone book and Eric Bischoff didn't have anything like that and tried to get it started but starting from scratch and that's why when a a Kevin Nash or a Scott Hall came in that were accustomed to getting huge checks for licensing and merchandising now go back to Eric Bischoff and say well we got a contract but this is what we're accustomed to getting and that aspect of our, our compensation at the end of the year is non-existent here. So you've got to make it up somewhere else. And they ended up playing him like a fiddle. And I mean, I could tell you horror stories where Eric would, you know, go down to the bar and, and uh, after the TV and start drinking and, and that's not a great idea because he would just, he would uh, he would get hammered and guys would wait and then they'd pull him off to the side and he would agree to things that the next morning had no idea what he had what he had promised and I would get the phone calls and I would call Eric and, and Eric say well I'm, I don't exactly remember what the call call him back and see what they said I said kind of thing and then the guys would get uh, you know rental cars paid for and first class air transportation and meanwhile Eric you know, was just obsessed with trying to put Vince out of business so that the production costs of doing a live T V every week just went through the roof. And meanwhile Vince I'm sure had some sleepless nights, but even though he was losing the ratings war, he was still doing healthy business and live events and he was still being profitable in pay per view. And he basically gave Eric Bischoff enough rope where Eric Bischoff uh, hung himself and and Brad Siegel let him do it. And, you know, and Vince Russo was given a a free reign, again, without having a Vince McMahon over his shoulder to, um, you know, temper some of the things that he wanted to do. It just was a formula for disaster right from the moment that I got there.
3: Well, it seems with Vince Russo and Ed Farrar coming in that they had – a mentality that was, ratings, 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 what can we do this week to compete with Raw? What can we do this week to prove that, we're, that it was us who were the talent that made Raw successful and we were underutilized? And that was where Vince Russo and Farrar's focus was. And Vince McMahon, and it wasn't that Russo and Farrar didn't have a skill set and didn't contribute and weren't valuable, and maybe WWE wouldn't have had the hot run they had without them. That, that, that's a d- debate and a discussion that is worthy of having, and people will agree or disagree you know, in that debate. But what I don't think Russo and Farrar fully understood is how much their talents were dependent upon the context of the WWE machinery and Vince McMahon's editing. And editing is very yeah, generic he, he, he,
6: filtered, he filtered what they did, and Vince is very skilled at uh, taking people and getting the maximum out of them and knowing when to say yes and when to say no.
3: And, and, also Vince and kept when they an got to
6: the WCW, that was totally absent.
3: And, and Vince kept an eye, J.J., on... Okay, we need ratings, but we got to hold back this, this, and this. And while we're drawing ratings this week and next week for RAW, we are also there's this undercurrent that isn't on tele, that fans don't obviously see, but there's an undercurrent of things that we're saving and building to that will help us also succeed at house shows and on pay per view. And I think your frustration at, from talking to people in WWE at the time, you and the camp of people that you kind of were with and and were watching from a from a short distance, what Russo and Far were doing is they were clueless about that, that Vince McMahon had that aspect to his booking, that he wasn't just going for the minute-by-minute, quarter-hour this week's ratings. There was, his eye was always on revenue, on pay-per-view and house shows, and having that undercurrent. Was that one of the reasons that, that the faction that you were kind of with behind the scenes pushed so quickly? Because obviously, Russo and Ferrari say, you didn't give us a chance, but you guys, I think, saw – we're we're in trouble. We're losing money. We need buy rates. We need revenue to stay in business. We got to pull the plug on this quickly before more damage is done.
6: Yeah, and and I think another factor that 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 you know never comes up in the discussion is the fact that there were people who publicly said that the success that Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara enjoyed it at what was then uh, the WWF was uh, in large because of the of the filtering of Vince, and I I think, though know, they never admitted it, never was openly discussed. I I think maybe they may have resented the fact that they did they didn't get uh, the credit that maybe they felt they were due, and and the, and the reality of it in the company even today with the WWE is Vince takes credit for everything that's good and never takes the heat for anything that's not good and that's part of the job uh, in talent relations. It's kind of like the press secretary for the president. Your job is to catch the hand grenades. And and And, I will uh, say,
3: J.J., Vince Russo did say that in the torch talk that I did with him right after he left the WWF and right before he joined WCW in that short pocket of time. He said what irked him, uh, to put it lightly, was watching all the mainstream media attention WWF was getting at the time. And that Shane McMahon... And Vince McMahon and Stephanie McMahon were sitting around taking credit for this Monday Night War period. And here Vince Russo and Ed Ferrara were, and this is where I totally have sympathy for them. They're sitting around in the trenches writing these shows, working with Vince McMahon on these shows, meeting with him multiple times a week, on the phone, in person, and would absolutely be considered head writers for any other major hit series on any other genre. And they don't even get a credit uh, On the end of the show or in any kind of official capacity, nor on interviews. And I think they're sitting there going, My God, we feel so slighted that we're doing this. We're Vince McMahon. It's me and Ed and Vince McMahon. And then Vince goes out parading around with his family, taking credit, never mentioning us. I understand that they feel slighted. it's,
6: It's like today, if you ask, they call it the WWE Universe. If you ask anybody in the WWE Universe who Kevin Dunn is, what, what do you think the percentage is of people that could tell you who he, who yeah. he even is? Yeah. Or would recognize the name? It's yep. the nature of the business. You have a job to do and you're paid well for it.
11: Yeah. And
6: uh, if if you're bothered by the fact that you, that you don't get credit, right. I mean, and, and again, you know, at the close of the WCW shows and the Crockett shows, as you say, executive producer of it. Uh, virtual r Rolls. and and so you know i i can understand the the want for credit, but um it's something that you, you you it was a mistake to be obsessed with it and i and i really believe that that was part of the problem in w c w that they that they yeah. felt maybe a chip on their shoulder because they didn't get the proper credit felt they were in a large way responsible for the success and so now we're going to prove it because you know we're going to set this place on fire and and we have to get our due credit
7: yes absolutely searching for more great pro wrestling talk then join me jason powell host of the three weekly pro wrestling boom podcast each week you'll hear the latest news and analysis from me and my team at prowrestling.net along with other pro wrestling media members Plus, the Pro Wrestling Boom podcast features long-form interviews with notable names in the pro wrestling industry. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, and all your favorite secondary apps, or visit us directly at PWBoom.com. Once again, that's PWBoom.com.
3: Uh, I want you to name one thing that, and this will be my final question, and we'll go to call and then go back to Bruce. Uh, name one or two things that Eric Bischoff did well. Because I, I think, objectively speaking, there, there has to be some credit historically to, to Eric Bischoff's role in getting WCW to the heights that it went to, even if it took a very special set of circumstances and a lot of money to make it happen.
6: Eric Bischoff is as good a salesman as I have ever seen or been around. Uh, he carried himself well, uh, you know, dressed well. He was able to comfortably go down to the uh, the CNN towers and meet with the, the the hierarchy right on up to a Ted Turner or whatever, and sit there and exude confidence. And he would have uh, uh, Bush with him, who was numbers guy and knew you know what the truth was. But Bischoff would go in there with a story, tell his story and Bill Bush would just sit there and nod, and there was no one with any knowledge on the other side to challenge any statement that Eric Bischoff made. So he's very confident, uh, can be very arrogant, Mm -hmm. and there's nobody better at selling themselves than he is. But you can only sell the sizzle for so long, and then it comes time to put the steak on the plate, serve it, and that's when he got in trouble. Yeah, yeah.
3: Very good. Let's, uh, let's go to the phone lines. If you're just joining us, J.J. Dillon is the guest here on Interview Friday on the PW Torch livecast. Next Friday, Million Dollar Man, Teddy Biasi Sr. will be joining us, uh, and we hope you will uh, join us for that show also. Uh, also, following Money in the Bank on Sunday night, a half hour after the show ends, come to pwtorchlivecast.com right here, pwtorchlivecast.com to listen live to the post-WWE pay-per-view show. As promised, we'll start with 336, and then we'll go to 240, and then we'll go back to Bruce Mitchell. Uh, 336, please state your name and where you're from.
13: Yes, sir. My name's Rick from North Carolina. Yeah, Rick, go ahead. Uh, Yes, sir.
6: I was uh, just
13: wondering JJ's opinion on the recent four horsemen going into WWE's Hall of Fame, and to uh, speak more specifically on – Oh Anderson not being a part of the Hall of Fame, but Barry Windham being uh, chosen to be part of that. Um, just JJ's opinion on personal opinion on Oh Anderson being left out of that.
3: Now uh, JJ, before you sure. answer, uh, a little sidebar: Rick said he's from North Carolina. Bruce, you're from North Carolina. Based okay. on the accent, can you tell me? What part of North Carolina Rick is likely from, and then we'll see if, and then we'll have Rick tell us.
5: I think he's likely from the Triad, from Greensboro, Winston-Salem, and High Point. Now, I, I, I'm listening to the accent very carefully, but I'm also listening to the area code.
3: Oh, that's a giveaway! Shoot. All right, uh, Rick, where are you from? Uh, yes,
13: sir, it's Burlington, North Carolina, and uh, he did use the area code against you. Absolutely.
3: Uh-huh. Is and, and that's where you've always been from?
5: Burlington is right next door. Burlington okay. is like right next yeah. door to Greensboro. So.
3: All right, shoot. I thought I might get you, Bruce. By the way, Bruce, you sounded a lot more like Rick, accent-wise, in the 20 years ago uh, progress and focus radio shows we put up for VIP members. You have lost your accent over the years, and I, I'm not sure that North Carolina and Greensboro appreciate that very much. I think you should stay true.
5: I'm not to sure you're... I appreciate you telling me that. So. I'm, I'm, <laughs> hey, I'm this is JJ. That's a, that's
6: a that's a great question that you asked. And, <laughs> and the yes, question obviously right. uh, obviously came up uh, when the inductees were announced right from the get-go, and it was very controversial, but it, you have to understand that wrestling is still a business, and for those who have followed the, the industry know that for years there was tremendous bad blood between Vince McMahon and Ole Anderson on a personal level and it goes back to when Ole uh, owned stock in uh, what was then Georgia Championship Wrestling and Vince got to Jack and Jerry Briscoe and by buying up their stock he got controlling interest and was able to go in and take over the time slot and that is I think the foundation of the bad blood that will always exist between Vince McMahon and Oli Anderson. Anybody that knows Oli, you don't ever have to wonder where you stand with him because he's going to look you right in the eye and tell you. And I've known Oli, I started in the business in the Carolinas in 1971, and Oli had been there with Lars just before that, left, came back when I was there. So I've known Oli since 1971, Uh, regard him as a friend to this day, someone who helped me when I started, and he's a, a he's a great performer, drew money everywhere he ever went, and I'm often asked about the Four Horsemen, the, 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 my favorite group, and Ole was part of the original, and if it hadn't been Ole in there, maybe there would never have been a Four Horsemen, and it never would have gone anywhere from there in the absence of, of an Ole. But Ole drew money no matter what, and he, image-wise, you know, Flair, Arne, uh and, you know, and I could kind of, kind of go with the wind a little bit, but the, the limousine riding, jet flying, kiss stealing, son of a gun—that wasn't Oli. And uh, so it was easy. And we, we also took pages from real life. At that point, uh, Oli's son uh, was, uh, I think, a senior in high school, and he was wrestling as an amateur and in state tournaments and. Oli wanted days off to go see his son wrestle, and so we turned that into a thing that uh, hey, hey, Oli, what's what's more important, the horseman or your brat kid? <laughs> 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 that was asking for a slap and the kisser, and Oli was uh, Tully was the perfect one to say it. And uh, when when Oli let him have it, then you know I came out and tried to mend fences, and of course, stuck up for the horseman. And at the end of the show called Ole out, threatened to buy time to keep us on the air. And when Ole came back, oh, Ole, all you got to do is apologize. You were wrong. Yeah, wham, let me have it, and a fight ensued. That's how we went off the air. So it moved Oli over to the other side, which gave us now a fresh opponent because Ole was the same no matter what side of the ring he was in, and always drew huge money. And as it happened, Luger became available, and what are we going to do with him? And he was really, really totally inexperienced, but we were far enough along that we could camouflage that inexperience with Luger, and then when Barry came along, that was a total surprise that nobody saw coming, and I think from bell to bell, that was the best group in terms of in-ring product on any given night. But to answer your question about selection for the Hall of Fame, if you know the history between Vince and Ole, there's no way that it was ever going to be Ole, and if, if... Vince, for some reason, had said okay to Ole. Ole would have told him, still stick it with sun, but shine, and wouldn't have accepted the honor anyway. So that wasn't going to happen.
14: Every Sunday night, catch Wrestling Night in America on PWTorchDailyCast.com, hosted by me, PW Torch columnist Greg Parks. Each week, I'll welcome a co-host from the Torch family to discuss the big shows in pro wrestling, taking your calls and emails. You can listen live most weeks beginning at 8 p.m. Eastern. On Sunday nights with a WWE or Impact pay-per-view, we go on the air at the conclusion of that pay-per-view. You can listen live, but of course the full show is available for download on demand anytime shortly after it airs. Visit pwtorchdailycast.com and click the live stream link to find the next scheduled live show link. Search PW Torch in Apple Podcasts or your podcast app to subscribe. Wrestling Night in America every Sunday, pwtorchdailycast.com.
3: Is that the um, difference with Oli and some of the others who Vince has had grudges with and forgiven? Is that it's got to be a two-way street, and you kind fig- like of, I kind of said at the end there. I think Vince knows Oli would say stick it, where a lot of other yeah. people who Vince I mean, you look at Brent, heart you does.
6: look at Bret Hart. I mean, if you were taken on, or my own situation of of being chosen for induction, yeah. if you've read my story and know how I left there, the odds that I and again. You pointed out earlier that you know that I've been on roundtable and some other things, but each time I've gone back, I've dealt with a TV producer or what have you, and had absolutely no interaction personally with Vince until the actual Hall of Fame ceremony. And I was not only surprised, but but shocked that uh, I had I, I to this day can't explain how it happened. And going to Miami, I had no idea. If I was going to be given uh, a chilly reception, and as it ended up, my children were all there. It was, uh, it, it, it was everything that I ever could have hoped it could be, and then some, in terms of how I was treated. The whole McMahon family were were, were gracious, but you look at Vince with Bret Hart. Bret Hart, when when the thing happened in Montreal, Vince came down to ringside. Brett spit in his face in front of everybody in that arena when they got backstage, punched him, and a camera picked it up. So if you were a betting man as to the odds of them ever doing business again, I think would have been astronomical. But Vince is always one that if he sees dollars that could be made, and in this case, like you said, it has to be a two-way street. Brett knew that, uh, like the Ultimate Warrior, they could have put, they had the rights to the footage, they could tell the Bret Hart story any way that they wanted to, and Brett has a lot of pride of being a, a renowned athlete from Canada, and he didn't want that story told without some input. So it gave them a reason to to get back and, and to, dis, to, to dis discuss things, and that even spills over to... To a degree, to the situation with uh, with Bruno San Martino, but to answer yeah. Rick's question, it was never going to happen with ollie and Barry was the son of Black Jack Mulligan, who was already in with Lanza in the Hall of Fame. Barry had worked there as an agent for a while, so in terms of politically it was uh understandable that barry was uh, was was the version that was picked and Knowing all of that, um, I, I had no problem with it. And Vince used to talk about, well, if you had a magic wand. If I had a magic wand, yes, it would have been beautiful if somehow Oli could have been given the recognition that a flare, that a Luger could have been there and been sitting in the audience and recognized, uh, but life is not that simple. And to go there in front of 14, 15, whatever thousand people there were in American Airlines Arena the night before at that point broke the record for a Hall of Fame induction. And I I think we meant something because they included us on the edited-down version that that, uh, following Monday. And then the next day you walk out and they're introduced in front of 70-some thousand people, whatever the number was, at another event that set the record for live events until it was broken again this year. And I hadn't been to an event in 16 years. Mm. And when I got down there and saw... Where the WWE brand had gone in those 16 years, uh, you, I always say you cannot argue with success. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't agree with every promoter that I ever worked with throughout my whole career because that's the nature of the business. And this has done a lot of things that uh, uh, that I didn't agree with, even found offensive. But you, you can't argue with the, with the brand that he's built and the success that goes with it.
3: Rick, I appreciate the call. Good to hear from you. Call again. All right, absolutely. Thank you, guys. You bet. All right, let's go to two four zero next. I've been patiently holding for a very long time. Two four zero, please stay tuned. Hey, I didn't
6: tell Rick but I'm coming up in a couple of weeks. I'm going to be at Fan Fest in in
11: uh, in
6: Charlotte, and uh, Burlington's not that far away. Uh, Greg Price is. Uh, missed last year, but he's bringing back a lot of greats. And Oli, speaking of all things, just uh, added Oli, which uh, put the icing on the cake for me. Uh, I'm excited to go back and to see Oli, and also Rashke uh, uh is going to be there, and he was recently inducted in the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in the class of 2013, which uh, in, in included me, so it'll be, it'll be great to see uh, you know, to see uh, you know, rescue there as uh, as well too, and also the the assassin Jody Hamilton is going to be there. So, Rick, come on down to 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 Charlotte that first week of August and come up and say hello. Awesome.
3: Well, go ahead. You got
6: another caller. Let's go. Yep, we sure do two four zero.
3: Please state your name and where you're from.
13: This is Ryan from Carmel. Hey, Ryan. What do you got for us? I'd like to talk about. I can talk about the Battle Royals, J.J. did back in the 80s with the managers. Uh, any memories and uh, anyone that was a big link in the
6: Battle royal? Oh, boy. Ryan, I, I they just released, uh, the WWE just released the tape, which was the, the best of the war games. And, um, of course, I was in the, the very first war game, which was on the 4th of July at the Omni in Atlanta, and it was the most devastating injury that I suffered throughout my entire life. I had a, most people think of me as the leader of the four horsemen and don't know that I actually had 3,200 and some wrestling matches throughout my career. And um, 3,200. It was 4, brutal. 4. It was brutal. And and I think the brutality of that first one in the Omni set the tone that maybe helped all the others be successful. So my memories of the of the Battle Royals and the War Games. The the battle wall sometimes could be a fun thing, and but the war games was uh, wasn't much fun about that. They they, they were <laughs> brutal.
3: Very good, uh, Bruce. You want to jump back in into the fray here?
5: Yeah, I mean you talked about JJ talked about um, working with Vince McMahon, and you had the job that uh, Jane Geddes has now, that, that that Jim Ross had, that John Laurinaitis had, talent relations, where you're dealing with. Paying wrestlers, where you're dealing, with, deciding who gets what pay based on you know, splitting that out, and, and all kinds of personnel issues, and including um, health and well, what's called health and wellness now, the the, the drug policy. What advice would you give to Jane Gettys, the person that's in that job now? Uh, what does it take to to do that job and be successful, particularly
6: um, working with Vince McMahon? Well, it's a thankless position, and I I don't know that I could give her any advice. I can only relate to my own situation. And the reason I think that I was able to stay there seven going on eight years was because of I started as a fan. I was a referee for eight years. I started, uh, you know, doing enhanced matches on TV, getting beat up by the stars and worked my way up the ladder. And and to have success in the wrestling business, you got to love it. you got to have tremendous desire. You have to have some talent. But the other two things are you need a lot of help from a lot of people on the way, which I had. And the other thing you need often is, is luck, just to happen to be in the right place at the right time when opportunity presents itself. And the horseman is a great example of that. So by the time I got where I was retired from the ring and in that position, I think what helped me have longevity was the people that I was dealing with Every time that I would talk to them or deal with them on any issue, and sometimes you know you're the bearer of the bad news, I walked a mile in their shoes. So I always said to myself, if I was in their shoes, how would I want the news uh, presented to me? And it was back in the day when contracts were uh, not—they had a ninety-day get-out get-out clause where they weren't renewed—and a lawyer used to write up a letter in. in in legalese, it's, it's very cold and very uh, formal, and put it in a FedEx envelope and, and mail it to a guy's home. And uh, guys would open it up, and I changed the policy when I was there to say that no letter goes out until I'm told about it, and I make a personal phone call in advance and talk to the guy. And at least get him the courtesy of saying, look, you know, I, you know," and tell him, you know, this isn't good news, but." I want you to have a heads up, so that you're not home and, and the envelope doesn't come, and your wife opens it and reads a letter, and it's devastating news. And and again, because I walked a mile in their shoes, and I think guys in in that position, you, you never your thing is not being everybody's friend, because that's not going to happen, the nature of the position. But if you treat guys with respect. And I always try to treat them as if I had wanted to be treated if I was in their shoes. And most of those guys got it and respected you for respecting them. So in terms of Jane uh, working for Vince, man, I don't know. She didn't have the benefit of what I had and what Pat Patterson had and what Jim Ross had and and I guess to a degree John Laurinaitis too. So uh, it's just tough to work with, uh, very demanding to start with. And when you're dealing with talent, it's nice if if they know that you could relate to them on a personal level because you've been where they are at some point in your career.
15: Need an extra dose of positivity in your wrestling podcasts? Well, come join me, Alan Forel, over in the Pro Wrestling Paradise at Torch VIP, as we bask on the bright side of wrestling and focus on some of the great matches and shows from around the world, be it the US, Japan, Europe, or Mexico. There's always a place for wrestling's past in the paradise too, and we've done fun historical shows such as the We Love Liger series, celebrating the glorious career of Jushin Thunder Liger, and our I Was There When shows where our guests will join me to talk about a classic bout that they were in attendance for. We love variety and you can expect lots of it at the ProRest Paradise. Detailed PWTorch VIP subscription information and a list of all the VIP benefits is available at pwtorchvipinfo.com. And yes, all VIP podcasts are compatible with popular podcast apps on iPhone and Android devices. Or you can stream them directly from our ad-free VIP mobile site. See you in the paradise.
5: As far as, as, far as this man, what what is this man looking for? Or, what, you know, this man works, It said, 24 hours a day or seven days a week in it, his it, it prime. Um, dealing with him, what what are the things that he wants and what are the things you want to stay away from? as far as, as as working with him close by. Well,
6: I think I stated in my book uh, that Vince used to say, I want the truth. I want you to tell me how you feel. And at the same time that Vince would say that, he would also make it very difficult for you to be brutally honest with him because <laughs> he can be very intimidating. Yeah. And so the greater majority of guys that are there will start to say how they really feel until they're challenged and if they're guys who uh, aren't independently wealthy, that have families that value that job, sometimes then put on the brakes and go into reverse mode. And there was only a couple guys in my experience there that, that I thought were in a position to be brutally honest with Vince and never back down and tell him exactly what they did think, whether Vince argued with him or not. And one guy was Pat Patterson and the other guy's name is Gerald Briscoe.
11: Hmm. And
6: um, those well, two guys up, uh, told him like it was. And if Vince had said, uh, you know, pack your bags and hit the road, they wouldn't have had a benefit for, for either of them. And I have great respect for Pat Patterson. He was uh, a genius in the business, and I learned a lot from him. And I have that same respect for Gerald Briscoe uh, on all levels, including a performer. He he uh, was a great talent in his own right. Um, he was a great tag team combination with his brother, Jack. And I think Gerald is worthy of, of being recognized as a Hall of Famer, as an individual, not just because he's uh, Jack's brother.
5: Yeah, he really had a great run here in this area in the Mid-Atlantic. We're talking about the Mid-Atlantic Fan Fest, August first, second, third, and fourth. But yeah, Gerald was, is going to be
6: there, and I'm excited about that too. When I started in the business, Gerald was on top. He was an established tag team with Thunderbolt Patterson,
5: and he could—I re- mean, he could really work. He could really talk. He was—he was a quintessential um, good guy. You—you um, you talked about how gratifying it is to see the, the cycle turn back and the that. Um, Paul Heyman is now an effective manager after thinking. After a lot of us thought that maybe we wouldn't see managers again. Um, and Dutch Mantel, I,
6: and <laughs> Dutch
5: Mantel too. Dutch Mantel, absolutely.
6: And and Zed, whatever his name is. There's and again, if the if the scenario is right, he's a great find in the business, a great talker, and a great manager. So again, he's a second example of. Uh, If the circumstances are right in the modern industry, but there are two old-timers who uh, cut their teeth a long time ago and understand what that role is and can do it extremely well. Um, what do you
5: see the role of a manager? All the years that you were a manager, what did you feel like the J.J. J. Dillon character should be doing or, or playing support to the biggest stars, to the biggest bad guys in the in the business? How do you see the role of a manager? Because I thought you were real. You know, I watched you very close by in the Greensboro Coliseum every month and in Dorton Arena and places in the Carolinas, and I thought you were great at all the little subtleties of looking concerned um, for, you, for your guy and, and picking the right time to, to act and then staying out of it at the right time. But how did you see the role of managers, and who did you learn from when you made that transition from being a main event wrestler to becoming a, a, a manager?
3: And, J.J., I'll insert before you answer that, whenever I think of you, you always look distressed.
6: <laughs> <laughs> You're yeah. always rubbing your forehead looking distressed.
5: Look concerned, if yeah. You,
6: if you had my schedule in my life, you'd be distressed, too. But, no, it... it I, my philosophy was always less is more, and I think part of that goes back to the fact that I had so many wrestling matches under my belt that if, if push came to shove, I a lot of smaller territories, I think there were managers that were there who didn't have extensive wrestling backgrounds who thought, you know, Jesus, times get tough, and all of a sudden the promoter says, you know, I've got to look at this roster, and i i, I got to cut a little bit, where would be the first place that they would look? Because you need two wrestlers to have a match, and you need a referee uh, for, for the third man in the ring, and the one uh, who is uh, expendable with, in really, really tough times would be the manager. So I think a lot of managers had the mindset of, Wanting to put the focus of attention on themselves to kind of show that, you know, they really, I am valuable and they really do need me. And I don't know if it was because in the back of my mind that I thought, you know, my situation is different. I don't have to go out and prove anything on any given night. So I can take the attitude of less is more. The other thing is, uh, uh, as Bruce pointed out, that I'm sitting there at a chair at ringside and I'm watching my guy. And there's people sitting not that far away from me that are paying a good price to sit in the front row ringside. And if I don't feel pain when my guy is uh, uh, is in a, a situation where he's not doing too well, or if he does something uh, that's turned the tide, I'm going to jump up and re- re- rejoice until all of a sudden It immediately turns around and I sit back down like it didn't happen. In other words, how can I expect the person sitting in the front row that bought a ticket to be into the emotion of the match if me as the manager in the the corner don't show that I have that same degree of, of emotion watching the match? So, yes, there were subtleties, and they carried over to interviews. One of the interviews I'm most proud of, I never said a word. I was standing behind Lex Luger.
5: Oh like I love Luger that interview. Is, I love that interview. I'm just going You know exactly what I'm talking about. I and do, I do, I have facial, I have it to
6: this day. If you read my facial expressions, I don't have to say a word. It is I have made it I made it known just by my demeanor, by the little subtleties that I'm I'm having a problem with the things that Luger is saying and if you're watching hopefully that's conveyed to you that uh, there's uh there's there's trouble here this guy is talking and the guy right over his shoulder is not saying a word but you can tell he's not happy and i think that's important part of the of of the total picture and i and i i took uh, great pride in the fact that those were the things that i concentrated on and you know, it's like Bruce said, that sometimes I would throw a piece of paper, uh, you know, on the corner, and I'd Mr. Referee, excuse me, there's somebody who's throwing some trash throwing, and I'd get up and knock it off the floor and sit back down. And <laughs> you can you can get up a couple times during the match, and the fans draw their attention to you, expecting you to do something till they see that you're not going to do anything. And then when they least expect it, you do something of impact that maybe turns the tide of the match and now they're very upset with you. So that is where I'm going when I say less is more. And that's, that was always my philosophy.
3: Yeah, I, I think, J.J., that you showed there's, there's more ways to be a manager uh, than the ones that get a lot of attention. And that's and in zero disrespect and lack of acclaim to the great, uh, more flamboyant, outlandish managers, Bobby Heenan, Jim Cornette, Paul Heyman. There's so many ways that they're excellent at what they do. You did it in a less flashy way, but I think you, you did a nice job explaining why you were valuable by being very valuable, by being different. Yeah. And I would be the first
6: one to say Bobby Heenan's the greatest manager in, in the history of the business. And he yeah. set the, the standard by which all the rest of us were uh, uh, were judged. Yeah. My style was a little bit more like a Gary Hart. Gary Hart yes. you know, yeah. was one that was not flamboyant either. And Gary never gets his due because he never had a chance to be on the, the grand stage and get, to, and get the exposure. So there, there's no... There's no formula that this is what you have to do to be a successful manager. And I always tried to dress the part and was perceived as someone who was a business manager as much as anything, that handled the details and did what they thought the role of a manager was, not just to be someone who was an antagonist at ringside.
3: Uh, Bruce, if you don't mind, we've got a couple more calls. Do you mind if we uh, take a couple more calls?
5: Yeah, let me say this: um, yeah. JJ Dillon's book at jjdillon.com dot com. Wrestlers are like seagulls. It gets my highest recommendation. Now, you
6: go. well, thank you very much. I'm very proud of it. There was, there was uh, Scott Teal took my life story. We worked on it for a year. He uh, he told it in a in a wonderful way that makes for a good read. Uh, the original print was just a little over three thousand copies. It was not sold in books, so you had to do a little work to find it. Maybe still in some ways the best kept secret and i think right now there's only maybe three four hundred copies left all of which uh i've offered to uh it started as a project the first year that when people ordered it through the website uh i signed them and personalized them if they wanted to as my way of saying thank you for going to the trouble to find us and, and get a copy and i've just uh uh continued since the book was published in 2005 and uh, for a while, it's been available on Amazon, which obviously I couldn't sign those copies unless somebody brought it to me at an appearance or something. But i um, very proud of how the book uh, turned out because I, I think it was very objective. I wrote it when I was out of the business. I had no axe to grind with anybody. And even talking about Vince McMahon, I think if you look at it, I, I probably have a, more of a positive spend on my experiences with Vince McMahon, than then maybe some negative feelings that I may have had on the day I walked out the door. So, and and I try it also with everybody that I work with, to be objective. And if you're going to do that, then you have to be willing to look in the mirror and, and mm-hmm. be objective about yourself too, about where you feel your strengths are and where your shortcomings are. And I and I like to feel that I did that as well. Excellent.
16: Longing for some nostalgia? Or maybe you want to learn some wrestling history? Don't miss the 90s Passcast every Friday on the PW Torch Daily Cast feed. Alex and Patrick will transport you 30 years into the past by taking you through the Torch issue from that very week. Follow news from the WWF and WCW and all the happenings from across the wrestling industry in real time as the Torch reported it 30 years ago. That's the 90s PassCast every Friday on the PW Torch Daily Cast Feed.
3: We'll go to uh, Patient Caller 704. You are on the show. Please state your name and where you're from. Hey, this is uh, Jeremy
13: from uh, Charlotte. Or as I like to tell a lot of people, like Nate used to say, the uh the big side of town has uh <laughs> said so many times, but uh um JJ you know, I just want to say thank you, especially you and all the horsemen because I have such great memories from, you know, watching TBS as a kid and uh you know, those are those are memories. I've lost my uh great grandfather and that was one of his things with me. We would always watch Braves baseball and you guys on TBS. And uh, you know, it was it was it was you know great memories. But uh, a couple questions. Well,
6: I, I thank I thank you for those kind words. If you're in Charlotte, I hope you come down to the Hilton uh, that first weekend of August. Uh, uh, and like I say, the, the great news that was just released is that Oli, who has uh, had has MS and has had a very very tough time of it, and it was a big question as to whether he would even be physically able to make the trip. From his home down outside of Atlanta, to even come there, and he's going to be there, and for me, that's the highlight. And I'm as excited to to be there as any of the fans that are looking forward to come to Fan Fest this year.
13: Well, yeah, I, I uh, at at uh, great risk to my own personal self because I'm getting married soon. I told my fiance I was going to buy a VIP ticket this year, so I'm uh, really excited about the. Coming up to the University city and go into that,
6: so uh will you anyway, come up, please uh, come up and introduce uh, yourself and tell' uh you know tell them that we you know we spoke briefly on this program, and one of the nice things uh, is all those years where you talk about having lost your grandfather back in those days we in the in the business were isolated from the fans we would come in the back door, leave the back door, and unless we happened to stop at a convenience store where you happen to be stopping uh Chances are we would never, never meet and never get a chance to even begin to know each other. And these, the fan fest is a, a three to four day thing, so there's plenty of opportunities not only for autographs and pictures and get old memorabilia that's been saved, signed, but it's a chance to, to interact. And and uh, I always. Take every opportunity and in every interview to thank the fans because there would have never been professional wrestling or Full Horseman or JJ Dillon uh, if it wasn't for the fans. And um, and I'm not too proud to 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 thank the fans for their loyal support for for all the years. Well, you know, I,
13: I, I'll I'll tell you this that uh, when I used to come to Charlotte, I would uh, every year when the new phone book would would come out. I would look up you guys' names in the phone book, hoping every year, I did hope that you guys would have your number in the phone book if it never happened. But, uh, anyway, you know, there are uh, after After the Hornets came along, and, of course, you know, the four horsemen guys, you know, across the nation, that was the first home team for Charlotte, North Carolina, was the four horsemen. Um, there were two different buildings. There was the the old... Independence ran re- out on Independence, and then there was the yep. new Charlotte Coliseum on Tybola. There was yes, a always a rumor growing, you know, growing up that you know supposedly WWE had um, had kept WCW back in the early '90s, you know, late '80s when the building first opened, that they had kept you guys from running the uh, new Coliseum. That's why all your shows were at the. At the Big Eye, as it was called, is
6: that true? Well, there, there. I, from having worked on the other side, I can tell you. They're, it's I forget what the the actual term is, but it's uh, it's called proprietary uh, uh, renter. And uh, mm-hmm. as an example, in the major rings, let's say Madison Square Garden. If the WWF goes in there. There are laws that says you can't have exclusivity to to something and keep someone else out. But if you run with regularity, like Madison Square Garden, it's reasonable and prudent to say that your agreement with Madison Square Garden is that, that a competing event in the same industry can't come in four weeks before your event or four weeks after your event. And, and most courts would say okay. that's that's reasonable. And so, if you ran every third week, you legally keep the other person out of the arena. Uh, and I think that's what that's what you're talking about. And it was, uh, you know, someone who was very clever in uh, uh, in routing of arenas to to make sure that uh, your competition couldn't get in the bigger arenas in some towns. Yeah, and
13: that was one thing because you know we always. You know, Independence was kind of wore out, and it was old, and it was, you know, I'm sure. It was smaller,
6: yep. Oh, absolutely. Stories. And when I broke into business, we, but, were at uh, the Park, we were at Park Center, which was even smaller. in downtown, I think, is now part of a college or something. But, uh, you know, those are just great but, memories oh, yeah, the, uh, for Grady, me.
13: Grady Cole Center. Yes. But um, yep. uh, my second question is the the Greenville promo by Flair um, when you guys reformed. How much of that got approved by Bischoff before he went on the air?
6: Um, you
11: know, when, when, when you, you go on live, when, on, when
6: you go on live TV, 98. sometimes uh, <laughs> and Flair the 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 feel the feelings with Flair and Bischoff went much deeper than my feelings with Bischoff. And when Rick got out there and when you can see the outpouring of love and affection and admiration from those fans and the atmosphere in the arena that night, that just lit a fire under Eric to uh, basically uh, allow Rick to, to tell Eric Bischoff what he really thought of him. And uh, I don't think Eric Bischoff certainly didn't approve what he was going to say, didn't know what he was going to say, and didn't have much control over it.
3: Very cool, uh, Jeremy. I put you on hold just because we're getting some feedback. Let me bring you back on, and uh, you can follow up or uh, or just we'll say goodbye to you, uh, Jeremy. All
13: right, got me. Uh, got me wait.
3: Yep, we got you back. I just had to put you on hold. We're getting some feedback. Okay,
13: cool. Sorry, yeah, it's uh, it's about the storm in this part of North Carolina too. So um, yeah, yeah. Uh,
11: Ninety seconds.
13: In ...history, of course. I mean, even if Mongo McMichael was in the ring, but, um, you know, we... Uh, you know, the Charlotte area still loves you guys, you know, and uh, we appreciate all you did, and uh, can't wait to see you in a couple weeks.
6: Well, we love coming back to Charlotte, and I'm inducting my old friend Les Thatcher into the Hall of Heroes, and I get to see the Cornet and the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express and uh, some friends that... Uh, You know, where else, as someone in the
11: business, can you go on a
6: weekend and see so many of the guys? that, uh, And it's the same thing with Cauliflower Alley Club when I go out to Vegas every year and I'm also involved with the professional wrestling hall of fame up in Amsterdam, New York. And I go up since uh, 2006 every year for their induction weekend. So each one is an opportunity for me to see guys that I wouldn't see otherwise. and, And the Fan Fest is certainly on a grand scale. Jeremy, thanks for the call.
3: With some podcast memberships, there's a complicated system of having to enter a username and password in advanced settings, and it works on some apps but not others. That's not the case with PW Torch VIP membership. We now have a slick setup where you're a single click away when you go VIP from having your podcast feed automatically generated on Apple Podcasts. All you need is an authorized VIP membership as soon as you sign up on our express sign-up form, which takes about a minute. You'll get a link and you click on it and it opens Apple Podcasts and subscribes. No entering anything, no advanced settings. You can also subscribe on more podcast apps than ever other than Apple Podcasts, including Beyond Pod and Dogcatcher on Android and many others on iPhones and iOS. So VIP membership, it's more convenient than you realize. Get all the benefits of VIP membership, all the VIP exclusive podcasts, and these shows with the ads and plugs removed with a VIP membership pwtorch.com slash go vip it's quick it's easy it's convenient and we think it's worth it pwtorch.com slash go vip our last caller of the day will be area code 203 203 please state your name and where you're from 203 did uh, 203 drop off going once going twice all right very good uh, JJ, you've been with us for a long time, and including the half-hour uh, delay in getting uh, getting you hooked up on the show. Would you be able to stick, stick around for uh, just a few more minutes to answer a couple email questions on our VIP after show? Sure.
6: Okay, uh, great. I'm on my mobile on my mobile phone, and uh, and uh, my, I'm I, I'm sure my battery's okay. I've been having some technical problems with my own home phone service as well, and the uh, technician was out checked it today and said it's fine. But every time we try to record something. Uh, the audio seemed to drop out. So as long as my battery holds up, uh, I'm up to uh, a few more questions. Certainly.
3: Great. I, I just as a uh, give a second chance to 203 because he was on hold for a while. I'm going to go back to him in case he had to, had a technical problem. 203, are you there? Okay. Fair enough. We gave him a chance. Uh, Bruce, you're still with us. I am. I am. Awesome. So let's uh, let's go ahead and play the play uh, play the music out on the other side of the music. Uh, the VIP members will get to hear J.J. Dillon address some email questions and maybe a couple follow-ups from Bruce. J.J. Dillon has been our guest. It has been an absolute pleasure, J.J., uh, here on the live cast, uh, hearing you tell your stories and share your experiences. Uh, the time flew by. I say that with a lot of our guests, and uh, you, you're no exception. I can't believe we've been on for an hour and a half. I don't know if I should have even told you that told you because maybe the time by flew for you too. But we appreciate all the time you've given us.
6: That's right. I've enjoyed it. You guys have asked some great questions, and uh... – I've, I've always enjoyed uh, the days with the toy right from the early days. And, of course, uh, I recently commented to Bruce about uh, uh, him sitting in the front row of uh right side of Greensboro. So uh, I've known him for a long time as well, and I've, I've enjoyed this as much as anybody.
3: Awesome. And I got to watch you from the front row also at the old Met Sports Center in Bloomington, Minnesota, when the NWA finally started coming to town with Rick and Dusty Rhodes or Rick against Barry Windham on top, and you often worked on the undercard in a full body suit, and uh, usually lost. J.J. I must say.
6: Ah, uh, you know, I, I I I have all my matches logged, and I kind of had lost track of my one loss record. Uh, <laughs> uh, Precious Paul Ellering uh, was a regular opponent, and I did I I just I didn't have much luck with him for some reason. I guess he's <laughs> just very talented, and and being around those tough Road Warriors for too long made him tough too.
3: All right, so our listeners join us on Sunday night, and uh, VIP members, you stay tuned, because on, on the other side of the music, J.J. Dillon answers some email questions and addresses more topics. Join us Sunday night after Money in the Bank, and Bruce Mitchell will be back hosting on Monday in the hour before Raw. Don't forget, visit pwtorch.com every day, including the Ask Torch feature and uh, many other news features and exclusive features, and download our app. Just search PW Torch in the App Store on your iPhone or Android device, or uh, any other smart device, actually, including Samsung smart TVs and DVD players. On behalf of Bruce Mitchell, Wade Keller, thanking JJ Dillon, and we're signing off on the livecast.
11: Oh,
3: All right, we're now in the VIP after show portion of the program. A huge thanks to our VIP members. We appreciate your support. We uh, have some emails for you, JJ, and uh, let me do a. a Bring up the first guest if I can uh, get my computer to cooperate here. All right, so first question um, comes.
11: Blog Talk Radio.
3: Goodbye. Sure thing. First question comes from Mitchell for Life, VIP member. He says uh, JJ mentions in his book that he wrestled Chris Adams in Portland during a one time shot in 1982. I was there. He says he was there consulting. Does he remember any impressions of Portland or advice he gave
6: to Don Owen? Oh, wow. Actually, I have always been a fan of the business, and the so-called great regional promoters, I I wanted at some point during my career before I retired to to try to get to, to, to wrestle for all of them, and I worked a week for Don Owens, and... Uh, I don't remember, actually the one match that I do remember from that week was uh, uh, Stan Stasiak. I wrestled Stan Stasiak and fell victim to the heart punch. So that part, uh, I I do remember. And and for me, it was just a thrill to, uh, uh, you know, to come out to to, uh, the Portland area. And I had that same feeling uh, when I had a chance to, On the way back to Japan, uh, thanks to uh, Kendo Nagasaki, Mr. Sakurado, who set it up for me to spend a week uh, working in Calgary uh, back when Stu Hart was alive and and being able to go to the mansion and see firsthand all the things that I'd read and heard about. Uh, So I don't have a specific memory of that particular match uh, other than, uh, you know, I enjoyed the the week there, and I remember the place where we used to stay had an airplane out front at the hotel uh, that was supposedly a a landmark that everybody in the business knew about, and uh, the only match, again, as I said, was I did get a chance to wrestle Stan Stasiak.
3: Very good. We've got another question, a more more contemporary question, and this comes from David from Memphis, also a VIP member. What are uh, JJ's thoughts on interaction with Chris Jericho, and did he see his potential during his early years in
6: WCW? Absolutely. He was, uh, a very talented guy. Uh, again, you know, I talked about Eric Bischoff and knowing nothing about the business. If you took a list of guys who became incredible, huge stars in the industry that were at WCW one time and just there, not, not stars, uh, Chris Jericho would be one. McFoley would be another. The Undertaker would be another. Stone Cold Steve Austin would be another. And if I sat and thought about it, I'm sure I could come up with some with some more names. But I was there when uh, uh, when Chris left, and really, Eric Bischoff made life so miserable for Chris Jericho that Chris had no choice but to off to leave. And I I remember calling Chris personally and and telling him that. Uh, I I certainly regret it because I was continuing to be there to to see him leave, but I fully understood why he was leaving and career-wise knew that where he was going, that Vince McMahon would make a huge star out of him. And and I go back to the interaction that I I did have with him that I think the question's making reference to. And Chris Jericho was so good uh, that he made me mad, too. So (laughs) that means he had to be really good at what he was doing.
3: Very good.
11: Aloha,
12: Torch Faithful. This is Kelly Wells, host of PWT Talks NXT. Every Thursday, you can hear me and my gang of idiots, Tom Staup, who shares thoughts from the live tapings, and Torch recapper Nate Lindbergh, as well as a rotating cast of guests, cover the matches and events in NXT Live on USA Network. Search PW Torch in Apple Podcasts or your podcast app to subscribe or listen on demand and see the entire PW Torch Daily Cast schedule at pwtorchdailycast.com. Cheers!
3: Oh, go. Bruce, do you, do you want to chime in with something while I bring up another email? Well,
5: it, kind of in the same vein, um, yeah. Madison Square Garden was because of its basketball connection, because of boxing, Ali and Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier, the fight of the century, the, all the entertainment acts that came to Madison Square Garden was such a a mecca for um, everything, but particularly for pro wrestling. And um, not only did Bruno St. Martino and Bob Backlund and, and the regulars of WWF come through there, but they always had something extra. They always had special guest stars and people from around the world that would, you know, the big stars from other territories would always come and be featured in Madison Square Garden. And you were one of the last to get that chance before the business changed and Visit Man went went national with it. Can you tell that story about um, why you wanted to work in Madison Square Garden and, 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 and how
6: that came about? Well, you really said. Set- you know, you, you've set the foundation, that, uh, and it is true. Uh, when you talk to any wrestling fan, you talk about the garden. There is a Cincinnati garden. There's a Boston garden. There's a Maple Leaf garden. And there's, a I think, a garden somewhere out in Phoenix or somewhere. But if you said to a wrestling fan the garden, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, Madison Square Garden. And the location has moved three different times. Uh, the present location is uh, 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 above... Uh, the penn station but before it was some distance away and then i think the original one actually burned down so it wasn't so much the actual physical location as it was new york city madison square garden and when i started in the business uh my dream was just to become a wrestler and once i started and got my foot in the door i said okay now I can say I made it. I was a professional wrestler, but in order to kind of gauge whether I had any degree of success or not, I had three things in my mind that, uh, that were going to help me make that determination. One was all the stars had gone to Australia, and that went back to when Barnett, you know, had that place on fire. And so I thought, well, someday I want to be able to go wrestle in so I could say I went to uh, Australia, which I did much later in 79. It was after, you know, Barnett was already gone and Eddie Graham. And I think Fuller had it and sold it to um, someone locally. And Ron Miller and Larry O'Day had had, uh, an interest in the business. So it was after the glory days, but I did get to go and live and wrestle in Australia. And it was a, a, a wonderful time for me. I made a lot of friends there and also got to wrestle in New Zealand for steve ricard the second uh uh, kind of gauge for me was japan Uh, all the great talent went to japan so if you got if you were on a tour in japan you were somebody in the business and once i went to work for uh dory and terry and amarillo uh they were they were booking the foreign talent for all japan and giant baba so Uh, I made my first trip in 1974 to Japan, and I think I made six or seven trips as a wrestler. So that was uh, uh, another thing on my bucket list that I checked off, and I, and I, I reflected in a recent interview that my first tour of Japan, January of 1974, and it's really cold over there. Most of the buildings don't have central heat, but on that tour was then reigning champion Dory Funk Jr., Terry Funk, Jack Briscoe, Jerry Briscoe, and Harley Race. And, of course, Chai Baba was on the other side, as was the destroyer Dick Byers. And here I am. I've got an old movie camera with no sound that's black and white that uh, I bought and took and have footage. And uh, you just have to think for a minute of that much talent on one tour, and that was my first tour of Japan. But the, the one that was probably number one on my list was Madison Square Garden because as a kid, I went there many times. And back in the early days, it was Argentina Rocca and Carl Von Hess and Skull Murphy and Bruce Bernard and Chief Big Heart and Haystacks Calhoun and Bobo Brazil and The Sheik and Dr. Jerry Graham and Eddie Graham and uh, Dick the Bruiser came in. I mean, it was the who's who of wrestling, Eduardo. Edward Carpentier and Ricky Starr. So, I i did hope that someday I too maybe could say I wrestled in Madison Square Garden. And I never worked the uh the Northeast Territory. I spent most of my time a lot of in the South and traveling around. And uh, I was in Florida in 1984. So I've already been in the business like 13 years. I'm now predominantly better known as a manager, wrestling some, but certainly not at the level that I was when I was in Amarillo fighting for my life every night against Dick Murdoch and Terry Funk. But uh, I was in the office uh, one day, and Eddie Graham would come in, and I used to love that time when he would sit down and just casually talk him and I. And and we kind of reminisced a little bit, and I told him that it seemed like yesterday that I was went to the garden and saw Dr. Jerry and Eddie Graham and and thought, please, wouldn't it be wonderful someday if I could say, hey, I wrestled there too. And Eddie said, I would have been a big deal for you. And I said, yeah, but geez, now it's late in my career. I guess that one's passed me by. And Eddie left the room, didn't say anything. And then uh, a day or two later came back in and uh, he said, "Uh, I just want you to know that you're booked on the next garden, Madison Square Garden. And I was floored, and that Eddie had called Vince McMahon Sr., who had a summer home, or I'm sorry, a winter home in Florida, Fort Lauderdale, and I had known Vince Sr. from when I was in college and started as a referee. He he was a wonderful gentleman. He knew me by name, was always very kind to me, always spoke to me. And so when Eddie called him, uh, Vince said he would be delighted to, to make, make that happen knowing the circumstances. So I was flown from Florida up to, to New York to work one match in Madison Square Garden and, and and flown back. And I tried to get a copy of a program that night, but they were sold out. And later on, uh, Tom Burke, who was a collector, had one of the programs, but he had it personalized to him from uh, David Schultz who was on the card that night. But he, he was able to take the center... Uh, lineup that they inserted and I was able to make copies and I made two copies of it and I over that next year or two went around and had everybody that was on the card that night autograph it I had it professionally mounted and that night my name is listed at the bottom as uh, uh, additional matches including and that night I was moved up Uh, to face Tito Santana for the Intercontinental title because they were taping in those days for the Garden Network. So uh, I'm looking at a picture that I had made with Tito uh, in 2007, uh, never knowing that in 2013 he and I would both be inducted into the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame uh, as as part of the same class and that he was uh, in the WWE Hall of Fame since 2004 and I would later joined him in 2012 there as well, but on that card that night, April 23rd, 1984, main event, Sergeant Swaller in the Iron Sheet, Greg the Hammer Valentine, Bob Backlund, Tito Santana, and I took the place of one of the Samoans. Six-man match, Roddy Roddy Piper, Paul Orndorff, and Dr. D. David Schultz against Tony Atlas, Rocky Johnson, and Ivan Putski. Brian Blair was on the card, and uh, Renee Gallet was there, Wendy Richter was there. They've all signed the program. And what's amazing, all these years later, as many as we've tragically lost prematurely uh, and sadly, all those names that I've mentioned to you are still alive. And I know Paul Orndorff had a, a real bad scare with cancer that he overcame, but uh, all those people were still here and able to sign that program. And it's uh, it's something that I display on my wall that I value greatly. And I actually... Had a second copy made that I uh, donated to the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame uh, up in Amsterdam, New York. So if you go up there and go through the museum, you'll see that same uh, card insert signed by everybody that was on it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you were a part of history too, and that you
5: were the last of the territorial stars to make that special guest star appearance in Madison Square Garden because you know Roddy Piper's there, um, Paul Orndorff is there, and the world, the wrestling world, was about to change. Man, son. That, that it, that's true.
6: Because back in the day, when the other promoters wanted to get certain guys that they thought had a had a future in the business, international recognition, like uh, you know, Baba would come from Japan and Oki would come from Japan. Uh, the Von Erich kids uh, went there. The same as they sent Ric Flair out to Amarillo and sent him to these other uh, territories to give him star status because the magazines would cover it, the wrestling, uh, you didn't have uh, the Internet. You didn't have means of instant uh, communication that you had today and that guys with Dusty Rhodes uh, from Florida would go up there for appearances as part of the mystique of the American dream. And the timing of uh, my going up there Sadly, Vince Sr. passed away just a couple months after that. He was terminally ill with lung cancer. And uh, Vince was in the process of uh, going to all the regional promoters because cable television had changed the landscape. And he was going in, where there were barter agreements in, in most of the regional territories. He was going in and buying the time to put his show on the air and then taking the top stars and uh, putting them under contract to him. And in essence, uh, you know, declaring war with uh, everybody else in the industry, and so there were no more political favors of of guys calling you know Vince now to be added to the card for prestige in the garden. And I didn't realize it was somebody else that that, that pointed out years later and said, "Do you realize that you were the last outside guest to get booked in the garden?" Wow, oh, I hmm. didn't know that.
7: Hey guys, it's Mike McMahon from the All Elite After Show. Every week, Andrew Sochek and I break down AEW on our free PW Torch podcast. We've been doing this show since 2016. That's right. We're on our fifth year. When we started the show back then, we were talking just Impact Wrestling, and we still talk about them from time to time as well. And over the years, we've branched out to also discuss MLW, and of course, the main event of our program, which is always the latest going on in AEW. Again, the show is called the All Elite After Show with me, Mike McMahon, and my partner, Andrew Sochak. You can check us out as part of the PW Torch Daily Cast lineup. You can subscribe to our show and all of the Daily Cast shows just by searching PW Torch on any podcast. Cast app, And of course, you can listen ad free with a PW Torch VIP membership.
3: Uh, JJ, listening to you talk, it, it makes me uh, uh, sad that we never had a chance to have Gary Hart on the program, too, because people like, you know, you had compared yourself to him as a manager, but just in terms of, being well-spoken, and observing the world that you were in. You know, you, 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 you took, a lot of people just, they, they, get, they go through their career, but they're thinking about themselves. They're not really observing or remembering things, and the stories you're able to tell are just fantastic. And, and I, I kind of think uh, we're, we're, it's great that we can have you on the show and talk to you, and, and it's too bad that Gary Hart left us so early because I think you would have been a, a great guest along the same lines with some great stories, having crossed paths through so many different eras with so many different uh, big names over the years.
6: Yeah, I agree. When I like I said, when I started in Charlotte, uh, Jerry Briscoe was there with Thunderbolt Patterson, but the top and it was a, you know, a large part of the tag team territory and the top tag team were Rip Hawk Sweet Hansen, managed by Playboy Gary Hart. Yep. And so he was on top when I started in the business. Hmm. Uh he was on top in Florida with uh Hart Gary Hart's army with Pac Song when the American Dream uh rose to great fame. Uh you know in in Texas uh when the pioneer kids were breaking into the business Gary had a phenomenal run uh in Texas several times so he was he was a star everywhere that he ever went it's just that he never got to New York and never got to the grand stage to uh to be in the spotlight and and get the credit that that certainly he is due
3: before i go back to Bruce we got another email question this is from someone i definitely want to Get to, because he is a 22-year Pro Wrestling Torch subscriber, Brian Alston of Phoenix, Arizona. He says, uh, Hello, JJ. I hope all is well with you. In 1989, were there plans for a new Four Horsemen after Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson left the Four Horsemen and the NWA WCW? Rick Flair and Barry Wyndham were still there. You started managing Butch Reed, Kenna Wyndham, and turned against Eddie Gilbert and started hanging out with his brother. Michael Hayes was also in the mix. Soon after, you also left the company and joined WWE. Did you, Rick, and Barry discuss keeping the Four Horsemen name and inserting perhaps Reed, Wyndham, and or Hayes?
6: Thanks. Uh, To be honest with you, uh, when, you know, I I was very close with Tully and with Arn. And everything, I don't care how successful it is, you know, runs its course. And they had an opportunity to go to the grand stage, uh, the Brain Buster's managed by Bobby the Brain Heenan and they felt the time had come to go, and I was totally supportive of of their decision and wishing them the best. Uh, it was a difficult time because TBS was now buying Crockett promotions, and they and when they did the due diligence, the, the executives talked to everybody, myself included, and, uh, and had all the right comments. In other words, we, we've got a strong financial foundation we've got all state-of-the-art equipment we have programming that we package and send all over the world that we could package wrestling in with other things and get it places uh, uh, where it wouldn't get on its own otherwise Uh, all these things that that, you know they were going to to do and then the one comment that went with it and by the way of course we're not going to touch the wrestling product because we know that that's what you do best and the ink wasn't even dry on the contract and every uh, you know, closet wrestling fan started coming out of the woodwork with uh, their their personal insight on what was wrong with the company and how they could immediately turn it around. And there was one guy in particular, and it's something personal. This guy's name is Jeff Carr, and he was there a long time. I don't know if he's still there or retired, but uh, I remember him speaking up and saying, well, I know next week uh, I could just, Go through the roof with ratings and put Rick Flaret Sting on TV. And yeah, of course, he was right. You put Flaret Sting on on TV and, and generate a great rating. But what he didn't understand was uh, you always had to be looking at the big picture of not only what you would put on this week, but then what do you put on next week and what are you putting on the week after? Because wrestling is not a seasonal thing. It was uh, 52 weeks out of the year. It was a uh, an ongoing athletic soap opera and there were subtle you know uh hills and valleys along the way that was the nature of the business but but what you try to avoid was the extremes and you did that by being very careful and and uh trying to put what on what you needed to on TV to further where you were going but still say some things in the bank and it's a problem even in the industry today they they still run pay-per-view and they've got all of that programming uh time to fill and yet they've got to keep some matches that warrant someone paying extra to watch on 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 pay-per-view
3: thanks for listening to our podcast did you know we also have a website pwtorch.com daily news updates editorials And my live TV coverage covering Raw, Dynamite, and SmackDown, and my live pay per view coverage for WWE and AEW. Create a tab or bookmark, make it a daily stop, visit us throughout the day, every day to keep up on breaking news and more. That's pwtorch.com.
5: JJ, I want to kind of end up with this and and take you back to the very beginning. Um, In your book, you talk about as a fan, you ran a fan club. You you put out a newsletter, and for one of the all-time greats in the professional wrestling business, Johnny Valentine, someone who's um, around here, if you're a certain age, you look back at reverence at the work that he did. I mean that he. he I, I've heard Jerry Briscoe talk about him. I've heard lots of people, I and mean, he was great in Texas. He was great in the North. He was great in the Northeast and in the New York area. And he changed Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling from, you know, he, he was the key that George Scott brought in um, to change it from from a tag team territory to a, to a singles territory. Can you talk about Johnny Valentine?
6: You know, it was at a time when I was. A kid and all, uh, I discovered wrestling, born and raised in Trenton, New Jersey, and it was on live one night a week for an hour and a half on Thursday nights from a dump the Capitol Arena in Washington, D.C., and of course, you couldn't tell that on TV, and I saw it on a black and white television, which I'm giving my age away, but, uh,
11: and then when I went
6: to my first live event uh, at the Armory in Trenton, New Jersey, where I saw argentina rock and carl von hessen now here's all of these bigger than life characters that are there in living color and i was hooked that night and there was something about johnny valentine he was someone who wasn't flamboyant like a rick flair he didn't come in and immediately cause a splash epic his style was one that hard to describe he would walk to the ring and he had an air about him and he would get more with a look and they used to say in his matches that you know where nowadays you hear these kids say that you know the the instant that someone hears a fan a fan chant boring they they feel like they were hit with a cattle prod and in the rear end and jump up and and have to do something just as a reaction to somebody in the audience yelling boring. Johnny Valentine, even though at that stage of my career I didn't truly understand why he was so great, but I did see that there was something very, very special about him. And I've since heard a a quote attributed to him that Knowing his reputation in the business, I I believe it is probably a very accurate quote. Because back in the day, they used to say, is wrestling real? And Johnny Valentine allegedly said, I can't convince you that wrestling is real, but I'll convince you that I'm real. And he did that every night, much like Oahu McDaniel did. And uh, as I think back, it just... uh, he was special, and and uh, he was very kind to me, and uh, I was respectful to him, and and I was honored that uh, uh, that I that I knew him even that early as a young guy on, on that basis. Uh, Bruce, anything else?
5: I, I think that's a good place.
3: Yeah. Well, JJ, I mean, we I feel we, of course we just scratched the surface in a lot of ways, but um, I, I appreciate your time and would love to have you back on again sometime. I hope that we can uh, sell out your books um, for you, <laughs> help you sell out and maybe get another run. Um, I, I'm
6: actually, uh, I've talked to, to Scott, and I've, I've been asked a lot of times because the, actually, I, you can't write a book with the idea of making money. It, 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 that's not what it's about. And yeah. I had children late in life after I went to work in the front offices for Vince man and uh, I was introduced by, uh, Bill Bowman to Scott Peel after he'd done all these books, and I wasn't receptive to the idea at the time. I'd just gone through my third divorce and try to get my life in order, and and then I realized that, uh, that my young kids uh, knew so little or nothing about what I had done for so much of my adult life, and the idea of being able to tell the story and have it put to words that would be permanent uh, started to be uh, a more attractive idea. Like I said, Scott worked with me for a year, recorded these interviews, and uh, uh, very proud at the end uh, that those, that my children and fans everywhere, that there's a permanent record, that somebody can go somewhere and get it, and read it. And I, I think what was the pleasant surprise for me was the positive feedback. I always tell people, when you go to my website, yeah, you can look at the, the the chapter headings and all, but go to the comments of people uh, who are either in the business or just people that that had bought the book and took the time to 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 send a message with uh, their impression. And different people were touched by different reasons, you know. Much like your callers tonight, somebody that remembers going with their grandfather back in uh, in the Carolinas, and as you get older, for me, it's like, you know what did I do of consequence of my life? You know, I wasn't a doctor that saved lives or discovered a, a cure for cancer or something else. You know, what, what did I do? And the positive feedback from the book and going to things like fan fest and cauliflower alley and the protesting hall of fame, uh, and meeting with the fans and the messages of coming back from readers of the book, uh, I suddenly realized that how many lives I had touched
4: along the way,
6: and that uh, in a small way I had accomplished something positive. That there are periods of of hard times, and our country's going, you know, just trying to come out of one right now where, you know, jobs are scarce and people are struggling to pay for gas and pay for groceries. And uh, that's one of the beauties. uh, Wrestling thrived during the. uh, Um, the Depression because people could go and for that time that they were there, put all the problems of the world uh, aside and just, uh, uh, you know, savor that moment. And I had an opportunity to do that and touch people's lives. So uh, I feel really good that I, based on that, you know, had a good life, that I can look back and, and the accolades of Hall of Fame recognition just
4: validates
6: the, the hard work and the passion that I had for all those years and
4: uh, and
6: just you know leave me with uh, you know leave me with a good feeling
3: JJ great uh, great perspective on why you wrote the book and that you got a lot out of it and uh, another reason and to... where I was
6: going is I am going to write another book and I said that I oh, put okay. hard into the first one and uh, I went through all of those same journals and and just past time when they've started making a list of the people who i was in the ring with some only for one time and was amazed at the people who and i go back to the early days with haystacks calhoun and bobo brazil and the Sheik that i watched on tv and then i thought it was a big deal when i was in the ring as a referee and then later on actually wrestled these, a lot of these guys and so the who's I I you know and I'm breaking it into chapters uh, and I have a list of the 50 people who um, I'm proud and and I can I can document that uh, whether it was one time or whatever and 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 what town it was and when the date was and then I have a wish list of the next uh, I think hundred and then I have a wish list of people who I never wrestled who I wish I had. Uh, one being a Danny Hodge, who I may have faced them in a battle royal somewhere, but wish that I had a magic wand and could say that I wrestled mm-hmm. uh, Danny Hodge. So uh, mm-hmm. there's material there that I hadn't realized for uh, a second book. All the venues that I have been in that no longer exist, like the Sportatorium in Dallas and uh, the, the Amarillo Sports Arena and buildings, uh, the, the, the City Arena in Pittsburgh that was torn down. So there was enough material in there, and then of course the Hall of Fame came along, and and that's a whole discussion about oh, yeah. the validity of one or the other, and uh, uh, just a, a strange story to conclude. I talk about my years in Australia, and uh, I met a girl in Australia. I was living there alone at the time. I was married, and my wife was here, and I was there, and um met her, and uh, uh, fell in love with her and, and, and contemplated a different direction in my life where uh, she was from Scotland and, and um, You know it, it just it didn't happen. My wife ended up coming over and uh, Of course, I got married again. I have children so it like if you take a point in life an intersection and say if I go in this direction instead of this direction I know where I am now, but where would I have been and this person was one of the few people who I wondered whatever happened to her. Uh, she worked at the Texas Town and Country Tavern in Sydney, and uh, Bruiser Brody's wife, Barbara, had worked there as well. And, and after she wrote the book, after Brody had passed, Brody had passed on. I even uh, contacted her to ask if she ever knew what happened to this girl uh, that worked there, that was from Scotland, that, and we're talking 34, 35 years ago. And approximately three weeks ago, out of the blue, uh, my horseman, uh email, I got an email message from a girl named Irene that said, I knew you at one time when you were in Australia. <laughs> that's amazing the world The world
5: does shrink a little uh, bit with the technology but and it's also just amazing yeah.
6: and that how and that, is, turn. Is a, that is a whole story in itself in terms of she still lives in Sydney Australia she's married has two children of her own and uh she related to me that uh, when we were there, I took her to a Japanese restaurant because that was my favorite food and she been not well, particularly a big fan of Japanese uh food, and recently she had two sons. The second one graduated from college, and his name, strangely, was James, and he wanted to go to a Japanese restaurant. And so she went with him to the Japanese restaurant for only the second time in her life and reminded her of me. And I still haven't gotten around to how the connection was made to send me an email, but that is uh, an amazing story in and of itself. So I've got more material than I ever could have imagined, for a second book, it won't be the depth of the first one. It'll probably be a paperback, but uh, um, they're just great stories in there of the of the great in the in the industry that I actually was in the ring as a wrestler.
3: Thanks for downloading today's show. Take it to the next level with a VIP membership. Get shows like this, the Wade Killer Pro sync Podcast, Wade Killer Pro sync Post Show, and the PW Torch Daily Casts on our PW Torch VIP podcast feed with ads and plugs removed from the shows for a streamlined listening experience. And also hear the VIP-exclusive shows that I host with Rich Fan and Todd Martin. Everything with Rich Fan and The Fix with Todd Martin's signature VIP series that you're missing out without a VIP membership. So go VIP here in 2022 and enjoy all the benefits, all the bonus content, and the ad-free listening experience. pwtorch.com govip. You can support us on Patreon and get these shows... With ads and plugs removed, the Weight Killer Processing Podcast, Weight Killer Processing Post Shows, and the PW Torch Daily Cast throughout the week with ads and plugs removed, plus a few bonus VIP shows throughout the month for just $4.99 a month. Check it out. Patreon.com slash PWtorch VIP. That's Patreon.com slash PWtorch VIP. And you can also upgrade to other tiers and receive even more benefits through Patreon. Well, Bruce, give a uh, final plug uh, for, on J.J.'s behalf of the convention coming up, and uh, and then we'll uh, sign off. And, J.J., I'll just say I hope when we invite you back soon uh, that you'll have the time and uh, willingness to come back on because I can't tell you how many notes I've taken uh, of follow-up questions and topics that I think we could spend a half hour on and really get in-depth on them, and, and I'd love to have that opportunity down the line.
6: I would, I would love to do it. Uh... Again, the business has changed so much, and uh, I do not watch the current product uh, very much anymore. Uh, it can be painful at times, and I don't mean that to as a
3: as oh no, you're right. A
6: slap at anybody. It's just the <laughs> reality right. of how it is. I was from a different era where uh, logic and, and personal emotion was a big part of what we were about, and
11: yeah.
6: the one thing that hasn't changed. That they can't ever take away is, is the memories. And that's why I enjoy things like Fan Fest and Cauliflower Alley and the Hall of Fame because uh, that's what we do. We go back and our old friends meet, tell the stories, and uh, those are the memories that, that will never change, that uh, I will save them forever.
3: And, and, and painful moments are not new because we are celebrating, JJ, the 20 year anniversary of the WCW mini movies, um, if you remember those. So. Hopefully way. not.
5: There's some <laughs> things you can just push away. Um well, yeah, go ahead, Bruce, <laughs> and I'll talk about one in just a second. But yeah. MidAtlanticFanFest.com Atlantic fir- dot com, um, August first, second, third, and fourth at the University of Hilton. Um, I'll be there, and I look forward to seeing James J. Dillon in-, in person and seeing Ole Anderson in the lobby holding court. That's always one of the great highlights um, uh, of that of all the days. Worth the um, trip.
6: Worth the trip for that alone. And Lars is coming back, and it's his first time back. Since he was there prior to my coming there in 1971 and has never been back to Charlotte, he's going to be there. So uh, it's, uh, it's 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 going to be quite a weekend. If you're a wrestling fan, uh, it's a good date to circle, and I think uh, Greg Price really does it up right. There's question-and-answer segments, and uh, just to have an opportunity to have Tully Blanchard and Magnum TA in a question-and-answer series in a room to be able to talk about that that. Famous I Quit match. Uh, there's things that that are happening that weekend that are that don't take place anywhere else,
5: and it's a tremendous deal. I've been to several of them. It, it really is is a, it's a great time. Also, um, wrestlers are like seagulls. We talked all through this this time about J.J. J. Dillon, Dillon's excellent book at jjdillon.com. dot com. Um, if you haven't read it, I I'd, I'd highly recommend it. And and both of you, I want to apologize for the beginning of the show. I'm sorry about what happened, and I I promise you, I, pr- I appreciate y'all's patience. I appreciate everybody listening who is patient with that. And I promise you, I'll screw hey, up again, but it won't be just like, that. like
6: it's like wine. If you let if you have to wait a little bit, uh, it ages and and <laughs> it tastes even better. So uh, no hard feelings. And I would love to come back as a guest. And uh, I've enjoyed the time with both of you. I respect both of you and your work. And uh, and your passion to the business as well. Thank you, JJ. Thank you.
3: Thanks, Bruce. All Thank right, uh, just a legal note, this audio show, the VIP After Show, and the PW Torch Livecast are copyright. TDH Communications and Processing Torch, they are meant for each individual paying member not to be shared. Uh, so if you've got a password and you listen to this audio, please don't share it. Please don't post this audio anywhere else. It is copyright. Uh, Pro Wrestling Torch, and we appreciate you abiding by that. J.J. Dillon, big thanks to him, and we'll talk to him again soon. And, uh, Bruce, sounds like you're going to have a blast at that convention, and hopefully some VIP members uh, will come up and uh, either reacquaint themselves with you or introduce themselves to
5: you for the first time. I'm already hearing about some that are going to be there, um, and it's, it's a great thing. So hopefully we'll, we'll see some torch VIP members. There.
3: Awesome. Thanks to all the paid VIP members for your support. You're what makes all of what we do possible. Until next time, big thanks J.J. Dillon. And on behalf of Bruce Mitchell, Wade Keller signing off. We invite you to email the show with feedback or questions or comments. That email address is wade podcast at pwtorch.com. That's wade podcast at pwtorch.com. Also welcome your feedback on Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter at PWtorch and follow me at the Wade Keller. That's at PWtorch and at the Wade Keller. One way that you can help us sustain our schedule of putting out podcasts throughout the week is by giving us a five-star rating. Apple Podcasts. Just go to Apple Podcasts and look for our Wade Keller Processing Podcast and Wade Keller Processing Post Show and give us a five-star rating. We hope you think we've earned that score with our fast turnaround times and our quantity and quality of wrestling analysis throughout the week. So take a moment out for us and do us a favor and give us a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts. That helps us on search returns and helps us grow. And if you want, you can add a few comments about what you like about the programs in the comment section. Thank you so much.
8: Do you remember when Hulk Hogan shocked the world and formed the New World Order? Or when Stone Cold Steve Austin passed down in the sharpshooter to Bret the Hitman Hart? I'm Torch contributor Frank Petiani, and I've reviewed these shows and many more for my exclusive VIP podcast, Pro Wrestling Then and Now. Together with a rotating chair of co-hosts, we go back 10, 20, even 30 years, review pay-per-views from top to bottom, talk about where the wrestlers were at the time, and compare what took place then to what is taking place now. You get exclusive access to these and other podcasts as part of your PW Torch VIP membership, which is compatible with the Apple Podcasts app. Visit pwtorch.com slash govip for details, and sign up for.
12: In 2012, NXT transitioned into the developmental system and ultimately the brand you see today. On the Torch VIP podcast, NXT Eight Years Back, we'll be taking a weekly look at this page in NXT's early history.
3: Join Kelly Wells and me, Tom Stout, from PWT Talks NXT every Saturday as we go eight years back to the day to track NXT's rising talents and why they did or didn't work out exclusively for PW Torch VIP members.
7: Searching for more great pro wrestling talk? Then join me, Jason Powell, hosting the three-weekly Pro Wrestling Boom podcast. Each week, you'll hear the latest news and analysis from me and my team at ProWrestling.net along with other pro wrestling media members. Plus, the Pro Wrestling Boom podcast features long-form interviews with notable names in the pro wrestling industry. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, and all your favorite secondary apps. Or visit us directly at PWBoom.com. Once again, that's PWBoom.com.
15: Need an extra dose of positivity in your wrestling podcasts? Well, come join me, Alan Forel, over in the Pro-Rest Paradise at Torch VIP as we bask on the bright side of wrestling and focus on some of the great matches and shows from around the world, be it the US, Japan, Europe, or Mexico. There's always a place for wrestling's past in the paradise too, and we've done fun historical shows such as the We Love Liger series celebrating the glorious career of Jushin Thunder Liger, and our I Was There When shows where our guests will join me to talk about a classic bout that they were in attendance for. We love variety, and you can expect lots of it at the ProRes Paradise. Detailed PWTorch VIP subscription information and a list of all the VIP benefits is available at pwtorchvipinfo.com. And yes, all VIP podcasts are compatible with popular podcast apps on iPhone and Android devices. Or you can stream them directly from our ad-free VIP mobile site. See you in the paradise.
10: Wrestling fans, are you that person that works in a pro wrestling reference to every aspect of your life? Well, we're those kind of people too, but we do so with mixed martial arts. I'm Robert host host of MMA Talk for Pro Wrestling Fans every Monday on PW Torch's daily cast lineup. Not only do we cover Every UFC and Bellator event, we provide context that only a wrestling fan would really understand. I mean, we're the type of people that if you ask us about how much of a mess the middleweight title situation is, we're likely to reference WCW in the early 90s. Think of us as a podcast for casual MMA fans done by hardcore wrestling nerds. And you can find us by searching PW Torch in Apple Podcasts or any popular podcast app. And we're always available on demand at pwtorchdailycast.com, where you can check out the entire lineup of the PW Torch Daily Cast.
3: Now that we're in the thick of summer, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals to support sunny, active days. Or you might just be looking for a quick meal to heat up for all the big summer pro wrestling shows that you're going to settle in for and watch at home. Well, Factor is America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, and they can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track for reaching your goals. If you're too busy with summer plans to cook but want to make sure you're eating well with Factor, skip that extra trip to the grocery store, the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up, and save money compared to delivery. Plus, you don't have to wait around for it, and it's not greasy fried stuff that's cold by the time you get it. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy and then get back outside to soak up the warm weather or settle in for a good meal while watching wrestling. You can stick to your wellness goals with premium ready-to-eat meals featuring high-quality ingredients. Treat yourself to 34-plus weekly restaurant-quality options like bruschetta shrimp risotto, green goddess chicken, and grilled steakhouse filet mignon, ready in just two minutes. There are vegetarian, vegan, and protein-plus options depending on your diet choices. They also feature lunch-to-go options, effortless, wholesome meals like grain bowls and salad toppers that are ready to eat when you're on the go, no microwave required. They also have calorie-smart meals with around or less than 500 calories per serving. But the nutrient density will give you the fuel you need to get through the day. With Factor, you can rest assured you're making a sustainable choice. They offset 100% of their delivery emissions, source 100% renewable electricity for their production sites and offices, and feature sustainably sourced seafood in their meals. So this July, get Factor and enjoy eating well, without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door, Ready in just two minutes. No prep, no mess. I am a customer. I love factor meals. I enjoy picking the meals out from the selection each week and looking forward to trying some new things and having some of my factor favorites. So head to factor75.com slash 50 or use code Wade50 to get 50% off. That's code Wade50 at factor75.com slash 50 to get 50% off.
16: Longing for some nostalgia? Or maybe you want to learn some wrestling history? Don't miss the 90s Passcast every Friday on the PW Torch Daily Cast feed. Alex and Patrick will transport you 30 years into the past by taking you through the Torch issue from that very week. Follow news from the WWF and WCW and all of the happenings from across the wrestling industry in real time as the Torch reported it 30 years ago. That's the 90s Passcast every Friday for the PW Torch Daily Cast feed.
12: Aloha, Torch Faithful. This is Kelly Wells, host of PWT Talks and XT. Every Thursday, you can hear me and my gang of idiots, Tom stout who shares thoughts from the live tapings, and Torch Recapper Nate Lindbergh, as well as a rotating cast of guests, cover the matches and events in NXT Live on USA Network. Search PW Torch in Apple Podcasts or your podcast app to subscribe or listen on demand and see the entire PW Torch Daily Cast schedule at pwtorchdailycast.com.
3: Cheers! Thanks for downloading today's show. Take it to the next level with a VIP membership. Get shows like this, the wake Killer Pro Sing podcast, Weight Killer Pro Sing post show, and the PW Torch Daily Casts on our PW Torch VIP podcast feed with ads and plugs removed from the shows for a streamlined listening experience. And also hear the VIP exclusive shows that I host with Rich Fan and Todd Martin. Everything with Rich Fan and The Fix with Todd Martin's signature VIP series that you're missing out without a VIP membership. So go VIP here in 2022 and enjoy all the benefits All the bonus content and the ad-free listening experience, pwtorch.com slash govip. Anytime you're watching WWE Raw or SmackDown or AEW Dynamite in particular, send us an email if you've got thoughts on the show or a topic you want us to address or a question for us. Wade Keller Podcast at pwtorch.com. Wade Keller Podcast at pwtorch.com. If there's anything else going on in pro wrestling that you want us to address on our main podcast during our mailbag segments, that same email applies. Wade Keller Podcast at pwtorch.com. We invite that interaction. Let us know what you think of what we're saying and let us know what you want us to talk about and ask us specific questions. Wade Keller Podcast at pwtorch.com. Support us on Patreon starting at $4.99. Get these shows ad free and bonus VIP content. That's $4.99 on Patreon. Patreon.com slash pwtorchvip. That's patreon.com slash. PW Torch VIP. That is the quickest, cheapest, and easiest way to support us and enjoy these shows with a streamlined listening experience, the Wade Keller post-shows, podcasts, and the PW Torch daily casts, plus some random VIP bonus content. March through pro wrestling history with a PW Torch VIP membership throughout the week, every week, we jump back 18 years to our earliest podcasts. And you can march through our coverage of pro wrestling history with our contemporaneous coverage of all the major pay-per-views, Wade Keller hotlines with behind-the-scenes news, the Bruce Mitchell audio shows with in-depth current events analysis at that time, along with history lessons and strong opinions, the Real Deal with Pat McNeil with the Hot 5 Stories of the Week and the Indie Show lineup of the Week, and more. Go VIP and relive wrestling history or learn about it for the first time as we continue to march through our 2005 library near the anniversary dates of when they aired 18 years ago on that date. To become a PW Torch VIP member, go to pwtorch.com/govip and sign up today.
14: Every Sunday night, catch Wrestling Night in America on pwtorchdailycast.com, hosted by me, PW Torch columnist Greg Parks. Each week I'll welcome a co-host from the Torch family to discuss the big shows in pro-wrestling taking your calls and emails. You can listen live most weeks beginning at 8 p.m. Eastern. Give
3: yourself a reason to look forward to going to the mailbox each week with a PW Torch newsletter paper copy subscription. Details at pwtorch.com slash paper copy. It's 12 pages every week packed with my TV reports along with exclusive features such as my cover story on the top story of the week, our pay per view roundtable reviews from the Torch staff, exclusive feature length columns from Greg Parks, Rich Fan, Sean Radikin, Alan Cunahan, and Zach Hadorn, Torch Talk transcripts, the latest news, and more pwtorch.com slash papercopy. Take a break from screen time and settle in every week with a mega dose of wrestling news and analysis with a pro wrestling torch newsletter paper copy edition in the year 2022. You can get a full year of home delivery for just $99 or try us for an eight-week trial subscription, pwtorch.com slash papercopy.